This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18+, plus. rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, welcome everybody to the uh, Chelsea Supporters Trust annual general meeting. Um, very happy to see uh, some very new faces to our AGM and and younger ones too, particularly. So thank you very much for coming along. Um, just to give you a kind of an idea of what the the schedule is, if you if you want an agenda, they were on the uh, they're all over there as you were walking past, as is our annual report. Um, but the format is I'm going to go through the annual report. Um, and I also ought to apologise, actually, because normally uh, we send out uh, via email before this meeting uh, a copy of the annual report and the, and the accounts. However, our auditors uh, have been absolutely up to their eyes, according to Stuart, our treasurer. So whilst we haven't been able to send you a copy of the uh, accounts, they will be filed at least five months earlier than they need to be. So there's no kind of issue in that respect. Uh, and obviously, as soon as they're ready, you will get them emailed to you, all the voting members, that is. Uh, and the annual report, uh, Paul was away, so I couldn't email it this week. So it was really that simple. But they are, they, there are copies here. And, of course, they will all get emailed to you in the fullness of time. Uh, once, I, once we go through that, I will, you'll be very pleased to know. It won't just be me talking, but I'll have uh, Cliff talking about what his responsibilities are, Dave doing the same, and uh, Tim will contribute as well. And Henry will also contribute, and hopefully Paul will say a little bit about what he's doing in the membership. So you won't have, have to listen to my voice droning on for the next two hours. Um, after that, um, Paul will tell you very little about the Secretary's report, because he's already told me there's not much in it. But uh, uh, what there will be is a summary, courtesy of Ramsey Shamas, who is responsible for doing our annual survey, who sadly can't be here today. For some reason, he thought it would be much more fun being at the Edinburgh uh, festival. I can't think why he thought that, but uh, obviously it's how he gets his laughs these days. But uh, he has done a summary of the annual survey, which I will go through the main points from that. Uh, it will be out, uh, the completed version, which is a, a real uh, war and peace novel of a thing. It's, it's a work of beauty. That will usually goes out in about two or three weeks' time. Uh, is well worth looking at, actually, because it throws up some very interesting stuff. So I'll talk a little bit about that. After that, we'll get into the board elections and the procedure for that, which I'll hand over to Paul for that. And then we're going to go through the motions that the board agreed on about a month ago, 
which we will be putting forward to you uh, to vote on at the same time as the board elections, which, of course, uh, is the mandate for what we want to work on over the next year. And then if there's any other business, by all means, let us know. On that point, if anybody wants to ask anything or ask a question, just put your hand up during the meeting. I'm not going to like wait and shove it all to the end of the meeting. If, if you want to ask something at the time, I think that's the best time to do it. So just put your hand up and let me know. And after the meeting, the formal part of the meeting, there is no quiz this year. Sadly, Dan Levine, well, officially Dan Levine said he was busy. Um, I can reveal exclusively that the reason he did it was because he didn't want me to win it again this year. <laughs> So he backed down. Tim is already relieved that being spared the embarrassment of losing to my team. But I'm afraid there's no quiz. But the reality is, is that we still have this place till five. So uh, I thought if anybody's up for it and they just want to hang around, if they want to kind of talk to any of the board members individually, any issues they want to raise, it's a good time to do it. Because we don't get the opportunity to meet up very often. So I thought, you know, let's use the time for that. If you just all want to go home, that's equally fine. So don't worry. There's no pressure. Um, the, the last thing I will say is going back to if you want to ask a question and putting your hand up, um, I will give you a mic. This is not, there's no PA here, as you've probably realized. Uh, most of us have got voices loud enough to carry for the whole room. This is because we're broadcasting this meeting uh, live on the Mixler platform that I use for the fancast so that if people can't get here, they can hear it. So the mics are really just, you know, playing into this. It's not to, you know broadcast it to you lot as it were but you do need to use it otherwise they will not hear your question which of course is very important so there you go um any questions so far jolly good right um the annual report um which actually as i said it's uh, other than kind of informing you of you know our activities during the year um it also forms part of our uh you know kind of official pack that sent gets sent to the auditors and is presented at company's house. So it is quite important, which is why uh, the first item is always the annual accounts and our approving of them. Um, I can tell you a little bit about that. As I said, in, in the absence of, uh, of the official filed accounts, I think the salient point, as it says in there, is that uh, we have a balance at the moment. We have various savings accounts and current accounts, which Stuart Kinner handles very well, but our balance is just over £5,000. And our income is, is pretty much exclusively membership fees, the odd donation here and there. Um, we don't do any kind of commercial activities to generate money, so it's pretty much funded by you guys. Um, we obviously will spend money on operational costs. So, for example, you know, travel, um, stationery, postage, that kind of thing, the usual kind of stuff. But we also uh, will occasionally contribute to things like the banners, which you'll hear about later. And uh, obviously we made a contribution to... Um, the Jack uh, Whitley Memorial and things like that. Ostensibly, we like to keep a healthy balance. We don't like spending all the money. And the reason for that is that, you know, when this was started, the, all, the, all sorts of things that were going on, I mean, obviously the CPO issue was fresh in people's minds. So we like to keep a fighting fund so that if any, anything ever came up that we had to go and spend some money on, that we would be equipped to do that. Um, so there you go, and as I said, I apologize that you don't have the full accounts, but they will come out and they will be emailed to you. Um, the next item is the membership, the most important thing. I mean, we, as, as Cliff was saying earlier on, we're the only democratically elected uh, Chelsea supporter organization, which is very important to us, which means that we are responsible and accountable to you guys. This is exactly what this meeting is about. Um, but obviously, it's very important that we continue to grow that as well as serving what you do. 
Um, it's a complicated issue in the modern world. It's not just as simple as counting out how many voting members we have and how many non-voting members we have. It's also about reach and engagement. That's why we tend to publish it in the way we do, but we have a significant reach when we count all of you guys, all of the non-voting guys, all of the people that follow us on Twitter and Facebook and all the affiliations that we have, and it makes us quite a significant uh, group. However, the most important people are you guys because you are, you know, we are accountable to you and the, 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 we exist because of you guys. So therefore, we always need to be looking to recruit more. Uh, so this year, um, after you know many years of doing it the same way, we brought in some fresh eyes and fresh people to look at a administering the membership and also recruiting more of you. So Paul Hay and uh, Rob Palmer, wherever Rob is over there, uh, have, have come in this year. They've been co-opted to the board. Uh, they are going to stand for election this year, I think, aren't they, Paul? But they've been co-opted. Paul looks after the membership admin. And Rob looks after membership recruitment. Do, you, do you either you two want to have a quick word about what you've been up to? This is a good time to do it if you do. Use that, use that one. Hi, I'm probably a, a new name or new face for, for most of you, but uh, uh, I've been looking after the membership, uh, taking over from, from Debs, doing a fantastic job in the past, and uh, hopefully carry on that good work. Uh, one of the, I guess, the main things that we did was to move over onto a new platform so I've been doing a lot of work just looking at copying all the members across so a few little teething problems but we've, we've sort of got there now and hopefully we've now got a really good set of um, data now so we know all the members and hopefully getting all the, the payments there's a new payment system as well which uh, has been implemented and seems to be now sort of running now fine obviously any issues that people do have with memberships please send an email to memberships at uh, the Chelsea Supporters Trust com, and I'll look into that and pick up on any uh, issues that you've got so uh, that's, uh, that's what we've been doing and uh, hopefully we'll have a, uh, a system that's now going to help us drive the memberships going forward and uh, a much more um, simpler method for paying as well so uh, that's the uh, the main thing I'll say and I'll put it back to you Chidge. Lovely well actually to Rob because Rob's been oh, oh there you go thank you good afternoon everyone um, as Chidge just said I came in was it September last year to look at the um the, the recruiting new members basically to um, to look at different ways of of increasing the membership so it's been a bit it's been a bit slow to start with but um we do have a plan we've we've printed leaflets i think they're still sat in a lock up half of them aren't they we've we've been distributing leaflets which it hasn't been the most successful thing in the world but we've also um looked at and bolstered our sort of social media um reach um I've started a, an Instagram account, the Facebook now. I don't know if everybody's noticed that that seems to be working quite well. Um, but we've got some plans we're going to put forward this year, hopefully, where me we're going to introduce membership cards and then basically give give some sort of value to people in being a member, apart from all the obvious things. Um, the idea would be then I would start talking to local businesses and to try and get some sort of deal, whether it's a a percentage off of a food bill or you know and then, and then people can ad advertise at Chelsea Sports Trust members are going to show their card to get a discount um, it's it's another revenue opportunity as well but that's not the sole purpose behind it but but the idea is 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 for for the supporters trust to, to to sort of be out there every day rather than people thinking about it every so many games or something something happens 
So, so over over the course of next year, you'll probably start seeing a bit more of that. Um, and we're going to engage with overseas supporters groups. They're all sat out there. We're going to encourage them all to become members of Chelsea Sports Trust. So, well, watch this space. Okay, thank you. Cheers, Rob. Thanks for that, and good luck. Uh, you know, it's 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 one of the difficulties that we have is when you set up an organisation like this, clearly the most important thing is to do the work that we do, which is to dealing with supporters' issues and the various campaigns and things like that. So it's very easy to forget about the arguably the most important thing, which is actually having a membership and getting more. So we're delighted that Rob's doing what he does. And as for Paul, um, administering that is, is a very difficult task, but uh, he's doing wonderful stuff with that, and uh, he'll no doubt get to know you all because he'll have your email addresses. Um, Question. It's a very quick question. Um, I happened to meet in Huddersfield a Nor- Norwegian uh, group of supporters, and, and they're the biggest foreign mm. group of supporters. But if I'd had something on me about the Chelsea Supporters Trust and I could have explained it to them, that would have been a, a good way in mm. to that group if, you want to, uh, if that's where you want to extend the membership. Well, I think, I think that's a good point, actually. But I think that's exactly why Rob uh, is very keen to have some sort of a match day presence. It's very difficult, I think, to, to know exactly what to have. Uh, we do have flyers. I mean, I don't know, Rob, you got a, got a response to that? Um, with, with the flyers, um, I don't think it's been that successful. Um, I've handed them out at away games. Um, that seems to be people more inclined to take you stand inside, inside a turnstile at away games at Newcastle last year I gave out quite a lot of leaflets uh, I don't think the response in terms of numbers you know we've, we've got new members coming in every month but going back to your point about overseas um, I've got a spreadsheet ready to go um, and I'm going to write to every single supporters group out there to get them to, to um, but in saying that at every opportunity, you know, I'm giving out leaflets, I'm giving out business cards. Sorry, you just want to say something? Keeping you fit, Charles, it's good to see. I think my point was I need some leaflets because I will be seeing them again. And if you have that Get in pers- touch, we'll send them personal to you. conversation yeah. with them, yeah. um, and I was in the pub chatting about mm. all sorts of stuff, bring that up. Yeah. Well, and no. These, I mean, these guys wanted to come to Stamford Bridge. They go to other games in this country yeah. when they're yeah. on tour, yeah. right? Well, we know they come here because they we we did a meeting I think in the Atlas at the same time as they 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 blocked the whole lot out and they're nuts. They're great, but I mean, you know, you know, you know how to get hold of us. Just just email any of the email addresses and we'll let make sure you get some flyers. And if you want to do that, we'd really appreciate that. That'd be lovely. I was just going to chip in to say, I mean, I spent most last portion of the last year sometimes unplanned in America, and we've signed up some of the people, and we're having engaging conversations. And it's sometimes it's better to actually have that conversation or, 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 or carry And obviously, it's a work in progress. So just put them through to any of the board members centrally or any of the members. It's all about all of us sharing the message and trying to boost the membership and engagement, whether it's in the street, on the pub, or even, I mean... I met somebody coming over from uh, coming back over from New York, and and somebody said they were going to sign up. I just haven't had a chance to chase them up to see whether they have. But it's about all of us doing that. 
Hi, thanks. And I'll add to that. I mean, if, if there is like a group, say from Norway, and there's one main person we can speak to, well, I'll speak to that person. I can then send them a whole lot of badges, and they can all join up at the same time, and it makes it a lot easier mm. uh, to get them engaged. Then, just I will add that Paul uh, obviously, uh, you know, monitors all of the inquiries and the membership email addresses. So if you send an email to there, Paul is seeing it. And also Dan as well, because Dan's got a good... Reach yeah, that's the, right. Dan is our overseas guy. But, you know, membership and uh, inquiries at will get you to Paul. Can I have that back? Because I'm going to... Uh, or actually just give it to DJ, uh, Charles. I'm sorry, Tree. I didn't see that. Do you want to ask a question? Okay. Right, okay. Um, as you know... Um, a couple of years ago, we, we... Sorry, I didn't see you. I think that'll reach. Sorry. Sorry, yes, someone who's just joined. I um, I just wanted to say that um, I'd been looking for a, a fan club for some time and on the, on the website and so on, and and, um, and then I just came across eventually the, the, the supporters trust thing, but I, I wondered if there was something more that could be done on the actual web Chelsea website because that's <laughs> the only way I... We wish. I, that's the only way I discovered it. Yeah. So I didn't know of it, its existence. Welling Garden City, Hertfordshire. Oh, right. No, that's what I was a bit mystified about, but, yeah. Outside the M25, they will have. Yeah. So, but I'm very happy to join this. But um, oh, I, 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 been this is a the few months one. I'd been looking for something, <laughs> or for maybe a couple so of years the even, the and I'd never. Is probably Walden, which is on the other side yeah, of it is. Uh, Essex. Essex. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm happy to. I'm happy to do this. I just didn't. I perhaps it. You know, it could be. Well, if it was possible to have it more. The, 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 I mean, you know, it's visible. It, yeah. Possible. It's slightly, it's slightly, I mean, we're, you know, there are official Chelsea supporters clubs which are regionally based both in the UK and overseas. And that's sl something s slightly different from what we are. You know, we're clearly more generic and, you know, we have a, a democrat democratically elected board and our remit's somewhat different. I think the official supporters clubs <laughs> are there to, you know, connect people in those, wherever they happen to be, whether it be East Midlands, or Norfolk or whatever together and then they kind of meet up on a social basis and obviously it gets them access to tickets as well and I think that's one of the main reasons they do it and I think as such because they're official supporters clubs they do get a lot of assistance and help from the club they're listed on the website that kind of thing they're, they're uh, you know they're organized along kind of platinum and gold lines all this kind of thing we are very different. We are part of a network of uh, supporters' trust for each club, certainly in the Premier League and, and outside of that. So we operate under an umbrella called Supporters Direct, and we're affiliated to an organisation called F a Football Supporters Federation as well. And we're here, really, to represent the interests of supporters on all the kind of major issues like kick-off times, ticket allocations, safe standing, you name it. So we're slightly different in that respect. And I think possibly because of that, and for the club's... Uh, kind of willingness to seem to be fair we don't get any kind of special help so they're, they're very unlikely to put us on the website or point people our way am i right in that at the moment, at the moment. yeah we're working on it <laughs> but that's a good question thank you right okay um as you know a few years ago we kind of structured the work that we do i mean basically as you'll find out later the motions that we get you to vote on 
for the forthcoming year on the basis of the work that we want to be involved with on your behalf. And in order to uh, operationally make that happen, we've structured things into what we call working groups under various headings, which hopefully kind of cover the areas that we're involved in. And just to quickly run through that with you, the Atmosphere Working Group was headed by Richard Weeks last year. Supporters issues by Cliff, Stamford Bridge Redevelopment of Temporary Stadium by Dave, affiliations by Cliff and community by Cliff. He's a busy man, Cliff. You'll find this out later. Uh, but this year there was, a, there was an addition last year because we kind of split out... Um, safe standing from atmosphere in recognition that while safe standing is fundamental to atmosphere, uh, it kind of is so important that it, it, we felt it needed special attention. So Henry Fowler's been taking over that. So you're going to hear a little bit from these guys now about what they're doing and what they've done on that this year and why it's important, starting with Dave. As we all know in the news um, recently, um Mr. Abramovich put a hold on the uh, redevelopment of um, Stanford Bridge for uh, various reasons, uh, probably primarily because of uh, the visa situation. As far as I'm aware, we've got no fears about him pulling out a Chelsea football club. He loves us to bits. He's the best owner in football. We should all be very pleased that we've got him. And... Um, Although the um, plans for the stadium have been put on hold, and I know this doesn't look good on the uh, mixer, but polishing my crystal ball and looking into it, I predict that um, the redevelopment of the stadium will be back on track sometime in the new year, hopefully by about March or April. Um, everything's... Um, all the work behind the scenes is pressing ahead. I was pleased to see two of the guys who are at the um, higher end of the uh, project here on Friday when uh, Cliff and myself were here with um, Amanda Jackson, Football, Federa uh, Football Supporters Federation, which uh, uh, was a good sign as far as I'm concerned. Um, the major issue is where Chelsea are going to relocate to. I'm sure you're all aware, because of the fact that Chelsea are going to have to dig down a couple of metres, there's no chance of Chelsea staying at Stamford Bridge and doing a stand at a time. It's what they'd have liked to have done, but they can't. So one of the major issues is um, finding somewhere else. I'm afraid that it Possibly it's looking more like Wembley all the time. Um, in one way or another, I've been helping this project since about the end of 2011, 2012. And um, they have been frantically looking for somewhere else. But... As far as I can see, out of the two, the two major options, which is Wembley or the London Stadium, to my mind, and everybody's shaking their heads. <laughs> it's, I think Wembley is um, the better, the lesser of the two evils. I'll put it like that, unless um, Fulham um, buck their ideas up, and um, I'm sure 
that the, the overwhelming majority of uh, Chelsea supporters would uh, prefer a little move to um, Craven Cottage. Uh, um, that all depends on them. I have no fears about the uh, future of Mr Abramovich, as I said, and uh, we're in good hands. And um, it it is going to be later rather than sooner, but um, I'm sure that in a few years' time we'll all be able to attend a wonderful new Stanford Bridge. Do you want to do you want to say a bit about um, the atmosphere stuff and the banners? I mean, I know it's Richard's bag, but you're obviously very heavily involved, and he's not here, so. Um, the We Are The Shed group, started by Richard Weeks, has done fantastically well, in my opinion. Um, oh, sorry, guys. Sorry, Dave. For that guy to start that on his own just three or four years ago, the progress he's made has been phenomenal. And um, I'm sure everybody here appreciates the work that he does. And the, the displays do look fantastic. That one for Mr Abramovich yesterday was, um, I'm sure it would be well appreciated by the owner. Um, although he wasn't here, um, he knows about 99% uh, of the things that go on at this club, trust me. And um, I'm sure, as I said, it was well appreciated. Um as ever, um, I'll leave that there, Charles. Um, as ever, uh, the We Are The Shed um, welcomes any donations. It's a totally fun, uh, supporter-funded organisation. Um, and uh, the work that they do is absolutely brilliant. Um, turning to the other end, the... Um, Matthew Harding end. Uh, I look after the, um, the big blue flags when we can find them. The reason it wasn't out yesterday was because um, nobody seems to know where it was. <laughs> it was at Wembley for the Charity Shield. It's come back to Stanford Bridge, and uh, although um, we had the search parties out looking high and low, it wasn't to be found anywhere. <laughs> Hopefully, by the time the Bournemouth game comes, it will be back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to give us a lift, thank you. Um, Chelsea Football Club were there. A guy called um, Darren Mantle um, was the guy who um, instituted the um, uh, the movement for um, the banners that can be seen round the uh, the tiers at the. Um, um, Matthew and uh, the shed end, and um, down it's down to him basically that we've got those um, banners. That was that is was a supporter um, funded venture, but Chelsea Football Club are very very kind in having had those banners for a number of years now. I think it's about eight, nine, or ten, isn't it, Cliff? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were very very uh, good and uh, kindly funded some replacements, which is why they uh, look quite shiny and new. Um, any suggestions for um, what supporters would like to see can be directed to either um, myself or um, Richard Weeks, and um, 
we'll take it on board and see what we can uh, what can be done about it. But bear in mind there is um, a limited space, and um, believe it or not, it is quite a lot of um, work to um, put them in place. But um, we're um, prepared to go the extra mile for you lot and put them up. Hang on a minute. Get them the mic. Thanks. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, is there um, any possible um, knowledge of how minimum or maximum time we might spend at Wembley? Or is not known? Well, unlike um, that lot in uh, North London, I'm sure... Um, Chelsea Football Club aren't going to um, try and say they'll get um, read about the ground in um, 18 months or whatever uh, whatever time they allotted. That is the, the reason Chelsea said it's a four-year plan is to avoid a situation where we're um, struggling to finish it and paying people £360 a day to come in and you know catch up with the work that hasn't been done. So a four-year period looks like it's going to be uh, a minimum hopefully it's going to be a maximum but I, I from what I understand it won't it shouldn't be much more than four years it's some, It's a shame it's going to be a wrench moving away from Stanford Bridge but at the end of the day it's all going to be worth it and at the end of the day although it will be f- for the first time in Chelsea Football Club's history that we've played a home match away from Stanford Bridge ultimately at the end of the day we're staying where we are, if that makes sense. Okay, thanks, Dave. Um, I just, you know, reiterate both with the, you know, we're very lucky actually to have Dave representing the trust in this capacity because, um, you know, he 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 knows everybody involved with this, so we do get access to some pretty privileged information, and, and likewise with the flags, of course. And the other thing, actually, I, I should just reiterate, um, particularly with Richard. Uh, and Dave, is that they meet the club regularly uh, to push our concerns about the atmosphere and our ideas as to how, impro- how to improve it. And I think Richard always used to say to me at the board meetings is that we can't, they kind of see their role as stopping them from the most stupid ideas and the most laughable ones, although uh, expect thrilling since 1905 clearly <laughs> went under the radar. But uh, da- yes, but Dave, Dave and, and Richard and, and that group do great work to, to make sure you know, that the culture that we know and love about the club still exists. And I thank them for that. Um, right. Uh, as I said earlier on... Oh, by the way, one thing I forgot to say was that the, the club... And I should say this, actually, on the record. Um, we should thank the club massively for allowing us to host this meeting here. Um, they, do it, uh, they don't charge us a penny for doing it. They're incredibly good and helpful about it. And uh, they will be providing us with some nice sandwiches at 3 o'clock so we can have a half-time and if you need a comfort break and a quick sarnie... Uh, you can munch on a sandwich thinking of Bruce Buck et al. and thanking them for it. There you go. They're, they're obviously, they'll be prawn. I can't, I can't speak for that, Tim. But that's you, a silly question, Tim, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. There'll be sausage rolls, exactly, for Tim. And some very burnt mince pies ahead of his Christmas run. Um, uh, as I said earlier on, we, we kind of split the safe standing working group away from the atmosphere group, uh, largely because we felt it needed special attention, and also because we have this fabulous young man who got elected to the board last year uh, who is passionate about it, 
And um, without casting any aspersions on the rest of us, he's done more work in that area in a year than the rest of us managed in six, uh, for which I thank him hugely. And he's having comprehensively embarrassed him before he stands up, because, uh, of course, he has to stand up to do this, as he's talking about safe standing. Uh, but I'm going to pass you on to Henry. He will tell you what he's been doing. Thanks, Sid. That was a kind introduction. While we wait for that nice young man to come along, I may say a few words. But, um, it's, it's, been a, it's been a stand-up year. That's the end of that. It's been a stand-up year for the campaign. Um, we've gone from strength to strength. I'm going to do a, a brief chronology and then uh, happily take any feedback about what we're doing and how we can be better at what we're doing. So Shrewsbury Town, they crowdfunded £75,000. You note the crowdfunding. I think we should crowdfund the pub, but maybe that's not on the agenda at the moment, but in the future maybe. And they installed the first ever safe standing um, in the top three divisions. You can see some of the excellent photos. We um, supported them with a great press release and helped them get to that target. So it's an incredible first thing to actually have it up and happening in Shrewsbury Town. I won't be going to Shrewsbury Town anytime soon unless we get a draw in the cup. But um, if you are around Shrewsbury, go and have a look. It looks fantastic. Um, so that happened in about February time that that, that was uh, put up. And then just before that, uh, West Bromwich Albion, um, as well as destroying QPR, thought that they would try and take on the government before that. And they slid in an application for the first ever safe standing, um, which at that time in the Premier League, an application to the Minister Tracy Crouch. Uh, after a, quite a toing and froing um, from around civil servants and legal advice, it was thrown out. Um, and they've said that it, it contravened actual law at the moment, so it couldn't go ahead. But interesting from uh, West Bromwich Albion, and something that hopefully other clubs may want to do in the future to try and test um, the government's resolve on this issue. Um, then, randomly, after some work we had been doing behind the scenes with John Darch and other trusts in lobbying, the Labour Party, who were opposed to safe standing, they were the only party other than the Conservatives in Westminster uh, who opposed it. And one of our key targets in the very long campaign plan, which I've done, I think, about half a percent of uh, from the beginning of the year, was to move the Labour Party. And we've achieved that. And on the 8th of June, Tim and uh, Cliff... Uh, came with me to a QPR, of all places, um, for the Labour Party's launch that they were now backing safe standing after consulting with fans groups and uh, other clubs. And I would think to say at this point that it's been lots of people, some people in this room, but other people outside of this room, that have been campaigning on this issue for so long that has now moved all political parties other than the Conservatives to support the introduction of safe standing. So a credit to everyone who's been involved in the campaign um, for so long. Some of the detail of what, if we had a Labour government, they would do around standing. There were some concerns and question marks about how much safe standing we could expect, um, but certainly a welcome change. A, a young man called Owen, who's 17, um, I think he was... Uh, I'm trying to think he's... Either Ipswich or Norwich, I get confused. But he, uh, he, uh, well, yeah, sorry to any listeners from Ipswich or Norwich. Ipswich, yeah, he started. He started one of those government petitions. Um, for, for the benefit of the tape, there was a quip there about Ipswich versus Norwich and the amount of uh, fingers. Yeah, it was off the record. Too late for that. Essentially, he started a petition because he was kind of sick of the idea that he couldn't stand at football. And at the age of 17, he got the petition over 100,000, which I think is just absolutely incredible. Um, he got a lot of support. And as a result, we had a parliamentary debate about changing the law, which was uh, massively well supported. Again, um, Cliff and Tim 
came and joined me in Parliament and we met with um, the MP for, for Hammersmith, Andy Slaughter, and we talked about what an introduction would look like at uh, Stamford Bridge. That debate was excellent. Um, I couldn't be at the debate, but Cliff, Cliff stayed and maybe could talk about what that was like a bit more. But um, watching every minute of it live on Parliamentary TV, I was one of four viewers. It was, it was exhilarating to see MP after MP getting up and saying, we back the introduction of Safe Standing. We've spoken to football clubs. We've actually surveyed fans in our constituency about what they want to see at football. And I think that's quite a change to ignoring fans completely in the political system uh, to then talking about them so that debate was overly in favour um, Tracy Crouch uh, summarised because she has to answer the debate afterwards and uh, was very much uh, on the other hand this on the other hand that and then just said what she had already said to West Brom which is that um, it's not something that they're going to look to introduce having said that uh, due to some toing and froing in Westminster, things I don't really understand. The government, by accident, because of the pressure from the Labour Party, have said that they will have an inquiry into safe standing, an independent inquiry to look at how, how that would work. So we've got that to look forward to. And I'll be honest with you, if we don't keep the pressure up on all of these politicians um, when there's an independent inquiry... Uh, they, they won't necessarily come forward and say we're going to introduce safe standing so I think it's really important and we should potentially think about um, witnesses that we would want to call and support and ask the government to um, call and also think about these people in this room that could maybe go and talk about um, the issue uh, if they, we, they do take oral evidence at an inquiry so it's been a lot going on. Um, I'm just trying to remember if I've, I've said it all. Um, the other thing is that we contributed to a small... Um, consultation around the updating of the green guide which is uh, the SGSA if I get it the right way around safety ground sports authority guide on stadiums and mechanics a lot of maths I don't get again but essentially it's about whether or not you could have standing how you would have that and that is going to comment on it for the first time ever and that that consultation shut in October um, I think or will be will be out, out out in October and the interesting thing is to link back to are uh, not so much comrades in North London, um, is that they will, be, they will be in a position potentially, and people would have seen some of the news around this, they have the idea of a rail seat and it is in the new uh, White Hart Lane or whatever it's called. And because of the green guy coming out, they may actually be in a position to actually challenge that there is the need to change law, which is a really exciting development and has only happened in the last <laughs> last couple of weeks. I don't know how much they'll push that. Um, obviously, they've got quite an active and good trust and a very strong relationship with the club, so um, I don't know how much that will happen, but definitely something to uh, watch this space. So, like I said, a, a hell of a lot going on, and I'll kind of leave it there. I've rambled a bit. Sorry, Chich, but... Okay. I didn't listen to the debate, but uh, for my sins, I, I, read, the, I read the entire Hans, Hansard script. Well, that's, that's, oh, that's right. more impressive. Yeah. And, um, uh, during, during <laughs> no, during no. <laughs> yeah, insomnia, yeah, I don't, don't sleep really well. And I love Chelsea football club, so. Um, what really appeared to happen there, that the Prime Minister shut it down very quickly when she was talking, and one of the things she said... She would look at the, because people said, you know, standing in seated areas was, it was not safe. And she said she would look, they would look at the statistics, and the statistics didn't say much. But my personal experience is a lot of people have a lot of trouble. But how much effort is it to complain to people that you've, you know, you've gone forward three seats, you've been trapped under the seats and all of that? Nobody does that. But that's the, da- you know all the dangers, and that was the problem. 
they were relying on figures which were, um, you know, weren't realistic. In, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just want to come back on that because it's a debate that so there's a few of us that are across the Football Supporters Federation that talk just on standing, and I'm in that email chain. There's plenty of them that other people are involved in. But one of the things that I think we have to be cognizant of in when we had the summit at Parliament when the Labour Party was saying we're taking soundings and we're going to change our view potentially is that Brentford were like, well, we don't want rail seating. We're happy, we're happily, we're happy stand where we are. It's safely done. There are other grounds that do it. So we, what we've got to be clear on is that it's not a united football movement that's saying we just want rail seats. There is a split, different views about how different grounds would manage. And the other thing that I'm concerned about and the Football Sports Federation is concerned about is that there are some grounds where it is, I think Cardiff being one where they say they've got looser policing around uh, standing in seated areas, is that... Yeah, we don't hinder other clubs that have different environments, but I take the point, and we do often. I think FSF is giving new figures on this, actually, to, to the government shortly about that. I mean, one, one thing I would say to that is that, I mean, going back before, actually, the FSF and, and the Labour Party started to get traction at parliamentary level about this, as always, one of the key and crucial turning points was the support of Liverpool supporters. Mm-hmm. And the spirit of Shankly, who are kind of our equivalent, if you like, for Liverpool, were fundamentally important to this. And they held a massive public debate in Liverpool and a survey. And I, you know, you, you might think you're a bit sad because you listened to well, Red Hansard. I was a bit sad. And actually, this, I think, was a harder job because I listened to two hours of this uh, meeting, which they put on YouTube. But the most interesting thing with the number of Liverpool supporters. I mean, not only have they come out now in favour of safe standing, which is, which is huge and I think key, but the number of them that had anecdotal evidence about you know, how unsafe standing in traditional seats is and the number of times they've been hurtling forward over rows and rows and rows, almost going over the edge in an upper tier. So I agree with you. It's, we all know how unsafe it is. We've all carried the scars from that, but the evidence doesn't seem to seep into statistics for some reason. Uh, you can, mate, and then uh, Tree's got a question. Yeah, I fully agree with what you're saying about the injuries not being, uh, being reported, and that's, that's the problem. People don't report them. People take it as part and parcel of being at the match that they're going to get a cut on their knee or on their shin. But if everybody did report those, those injuries, then she would have some, some statistics to work on. Yeah. yeah, that is. Sorry, can I yeah, uh, say um, that? Say it anyway. <laughs> yeah, oh, right. Sorry, um, with regard to what Henry said about a, a potential inquiry into safe standing, I was very taken with what the gentleman, I'm sorry, I don't know your name, love, Steve, hello, um, about what he said about his own experience and what we need to do is we need to, or Henry needs to do, is to compile a list of potential witnesses and say, my name is Blah, I was at here, I was at this game, there was a goal, I fell forward, I was injured. We actually do need to collate a list of, of people and their injuries and then present that to any inquiry because the way that you are, are going to make the case for it is by presenting some cold, hard facts about the injuries that people have sustained over the years. I'd just like to say um, that I've, I think the danger with doing that is, is that whilst... Um, People being allowed to stand in their seats at Stamford Bridge has been very, very, re- been relaxed rapidly from, oh, not, not rapidly, I can't think of the, 
my words at the moment, but it's it's it, no, it's it's <laughs> the old ones are the best, Jidge. Um, the, uh, it's got a lot better standing at Stanford Bridge. A few years ago, the stewards were on you if you got up to go to the toilet during the game and stuff like that. But they let you stand now. But what one thing a, uh, a downside of reporting it is if, especially we know what the health and safety people like are like at this club. If too many people start reporting that people are getting injured, they might clamp down on people being allowed to stand or you know to, to the extent that they're allowed to do now so you know if we'd have to be very careful about how we did it and what we did um, while I'm walking over I was, I was just going to say one of the things might be looking at is some of the international experience in terms of before and after and using their data uh, as, a, as, a, as a comparison but, but that, uh, but DJ is right in terms of the there are unintended consequences. Hi, uh, I'm Mikey. Just to differentiate me from any Michaels that, that are around, a couple of points in that is it not fair to assume that pretty much every away supporter is standing because wherever you go, you know that that's going to be the case. Um, on the other side, my concern is that standing is great. If everybody stands, if you get a few people, which Matthew Harding Upper got a few seats in front of me where you get occasional um, flyers coming in, and they're like bloody jack in the boxes, you know, up and down, up, and you think, well, either we all stand up or nobody stands up, and, and that's just from a personal point of view. Um, but I th sort of a question, really, in that. Where does the 100% um, seating kick in? Because I know that there are, for example, I go used to go to um, order shop to watch the kids. You know, you can stand at the end there. So, at what point in the league do you have to have full standing? And if you then go back down the league, are you allowed to reinstall your standing? Uh, yeah, I'll just come back on that first and just some, some comments. So it's the top three tiers, um, and there's a three years within that. So, for instance, Brentford will be given special dispensation because they're building a new ground, and they're not going to go to a massive expense of putting in all seats in a terraced area, and they've got that dispensation to do that. So it's with three continuous years in there. So if you drop out within that period and then go back up, potentially you wouldn't have to get rid of your terrace or if you've got something that's half standing or whatever that would look like so um in relation to that that's that's what that is and where we are at the moment but yeah i suppose what what we talked about at the the round table and we had about 60 supporters clubs there and there was a group from hull that's called hull tigers seniors or a group has a title like that and they talked about the away day experience and they were saying we don't want to stand obviously away days we know most people do stand and they were talking about that for them safe standing is about providing a proper area both in the home and away ends that allow people that want to stand to stand and then allow people that don't want to stand to not stand so I think it's really important we get that right the only other thing I would say and Charles has made me think of it um, is at that again at that again at that that summit 
a supporter talked about going to uh, the Orlando Stadium and they've got um, safe standing there or, or uh, certainly rail standing, rail seating, sorry. And in that area, they've got a mixture. They've managed to give platforms for like wheelchair users and other people so everyone can be in the standing area, which I think is a really interesting innovation. And it was there's, some of the photos were shared with us afterwards. And it's about getting it right for everyone is what I'm trying to say. And a standing area is about providing a standing area for those people that want to be involved in it, but then providing areas so other people don't have to be in it. I think that's the point I'm trying to make. But we've got to make sure that at this club we get it right. Um, and some of that discussion with the local sounds uh, sports ground safety authority here will mean that we will have to have control about how it's implemented at Stanford Bridge and we will need people's help in finding out what the best way of doing that is so that we're not exclusive or and that everyone can have a good time at the bridge and just just to add on to that it may be worth we were talking about engaging overseas supporters groups it's actually one of the things we could potentially work with them so for example we can identify some stadiums that have mixed seating um, I know I because I know we're in the states a few weeks ago there's one of the the uh, West Coast team MLS teams I know has uh, seating across the end of one was standing across one stage and even Yankee Stadium the bank the, the baseball stadium which also has MLS uh, uh, MLS fixtures played there they have a standing they have a standing area at the opposite end of the main bit the main diamond bleachers so we can probably work with some people to get information right yeah can we just make this a quick one because you know time is oppressing one thing I thought about safe standing was uh, surely we want uh, youngsters to come to the game who can afford to come to the game and maybe uh, safe standing areas are part of that yeah and I mean I think that's that's a point that we we make commonly when we get involved with the campaign right Uh, Henry thank you for that and thanks for all the questions as well we know what an important issue this is, and it touches so many other areas. Um, Cliff uh, has a very broad, well, he has very broad shoulders, and he has a very broad portfolio, but perhaps arguably the most important uh, one is uh, his work on supporter issues. Um, so if Cliff would like to talk a little bit about that, well, and you want to bring Tim in as well. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll defer to Tim on this first, and then I'll, I'll just come back in afterwards to a couple of other issues that Tim doesn't deal with, if, if that's all right with you, Tim. That, that, yeah. That's fine. Um, I'll talk first of all about ticket pricing and things like loyalty points. Now, every club, every club has a system around allocation of away tickets, allocation of home tickets. None of them, are, none of them are the same. But nobody had ever collated, excuse me, collated a, a sort of centralised list of what clubs do and tried to identify best practice. So we emailed and got feedback from the majority of the Premier League trusts collated it in a table you can see what some of the clubs do we we have this seven o'clock on a monday morning nonsense spurs give a three-day window so you can apply any time during that and then people with the most loyalty points get the tickets we don't this was presented by chris to the uh, fans forum club know about it they know about a number of other initiatives other clubs do but it sits with them we have we do not have the power unfortunately to change it but it does show that if you work in a sensible way with other trusts, particularly, no disrespect to the other 14, but the, the top five or six who have the same issues, whose away games always sell out, whose home games always sell out, who have issues, problems with allocation of tickets, all, all these issues. So we've, we, we've done that work, and the, the table I produced has been used by other trusts in their dialogue with their clubs, because nobody, 
Nobody's perfect. Chelsea aren't great, but they're not actually the worst. And no club has uh, has got it right. So we've done quite a lot of work on um, on that, and I think it's fair to say that that that, that we'll we'll move forward on that. And I, I would hope with Chelsea, but certainly with other clubs. The problem is, you present this to the Premier League, and I presented it at a meeting with Scudamore, and said, look, you know, there's all these great things that clubs do, and if you've got a best practice pack, and they go, whoa, you know, we're not, we're not interested in, in telling the clubs what to do. They will not, they not only won't mandate, they won't even suggest the best, what, what they think is the best practice. So you can only do so much. But to, to be honest, you know, Chelsea's isn't perfect. You, you, you know, on social media every week, every time there's a way tickets on sale, there's going to be there's going to be complaints about the way the system works. We have a massive problem because, you know, if you take Southampton away, we could probably sell nine thousand tickets and we get three thousand one hundred. So you can't please everybody, but it's just trying to find a, a a sensible way forward. But we will we will continue working with that. It would be nice if the Premier League were a bit more supportive, but that they don't see that as their uh, role. Sorry, I dropped my. Uh, papers. So, trying to find the next, next bit. Oh, here we are. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I think another, the, probably the key area I've been involved in over the last two two and a half years is is kickoff times. Again, it, it affects all Premier League clubs around just what the t- games get moved at six weeks' notice or at five weeks' notice or at four weeks' notice. So you have the, 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 the fast yesterday of Newcastle playing Cardiff on a Saturday lunchtime. How, you, there's no way of getting there by public transport. You know, we, we've, we've presented to them. We've, we've, we've got media coverage on this. We've been on the radio talking about this. You know, we've had news, national newspapers writing about it, about the iniquities where supporters have to get up at three in the morning to go to away games. The, the number, we've produced endless reports. We update them every month of games that supporters get home from after midnight or cannot get back from, from public transport. The trend is slightly better. It used to be about one in four games, TV games people couldn't get back from public transport. It's probably one in five now. So it's, and, you know, we, we've talked to the Premier League, we've talked to Sky, we've talked to the rail companies, and I'll come back to them a bit later. Uh, we've talked to BT. We've got the press on side. But the problem is that the, the Premier League would always blame the TV companies because the TV companies pay the money. And the TV companies say, well, look, we've paid a lot of money for this, so we'll do what we want to do. So Cat Law from the Spurs Trust and myself have sat down with all these people and we've had the dialogue and we've got so far and they know the issues, but we don't hold the power. And we've talked about, is there direct action? You know, will boycotts, boycotting a TV game, would that work? The problem is it probably wouldn't. And you don't want to do a boycott where 500 people don't turn up because you will just be laughed at. So we are talking about ways of, of highlighting this, but it is very difficult. Um, my concern is that every TV deal, there are more games being televised. So it impacts on more supporters. And it's, this isn't the point I'm making. Is this isn't just the Chelsea issue. This affects everyone in the Premier League. We get more than most. And this season, because of the Europa League, we're going to get more, less Saturday games. We normally get probably five Saturday three o'clock kickoffs. This season, we'll probably only get three or something because of the, the, the nature of the Europa League fixtures. So, you know, we, we are trying and we are working with, um, with good people from other trusts. I think it's an interesting thing that probably the, the other two most active trusts 
are Tottenham and Arsenal, and they've both got issues of their own now because Tottenham have got the huge hiatus of the delay, the fact they sold tickets for games that aren't going to happen at the stadium <coughs> they were sold for. And Arsenal have suddenly got this massive ownership issue, which is going to dominate their time. But we've got another meeting with the Premier League in uh, October. That will almost certainly be Scudamore's last meeting. He's being replaced. I'm fascinated to see what they replace him. My concern is they will replace him with a TV exec type person who will be interested in growing the global reach and, and won't have any interest in, in, in the history and the traditions of the game. And I think one way that this will be manifested is the revival of Game 39 overseas game. I think the fact that La Liga have done it, I think it's almost certain, and we will certainly raise it with them in, uh, in October, and they will say, oh, that's, you know, further down the line, we, no, no firm plans. But the bottom line is, if they see the Spanish doing it, then they will think that they should be doing it as well as they're missing out. I think on that one, you know, we, can, we will certainly, I think you can take it as read that, that, that support, every supporter's trust in the Premier League. Yeah, but well, every supporter's trust will, will, will oppose it. And I think there may be, that may be an area where we can get into some sort of direct action where we really highlight the issue. Um, I mean, Tim and I are, are a pro brim and I mean, I've got, I'm, I won't say what I think because, you know, it's a public forum and Dave hates it when I swear, but I think that I, I, I can't think of a, a bigger threat to the game that we grew up with and love than the, you know, any idea of playing Premier League game, competitive Premier League games abroad. I think, all, I mean, you know, Tim and I get the emails from the Supporters Trust Premier League group. We're, we're in that loop. And the minute the news came out, it was just hot as anything. And every supporters trust and group is absolutely four square behind this. And I think if anything happened like that, the direct action will yeah. be no, like nothing we have seen before. I, I, I would agree completely because it is the traditions of the game. And my concern is they'll say, oh, we'll just make it the community shield. Or we'll just make it the League Cup. Thin end of the wedge. Yeah, thin end of the wedge. Wedge exactly. even. Yeah, 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 exactly. So... I think it will be opposed, and it will be opposed from day one. So, we'll obviously, we will keep you posted. The, the press are on this. They know, they know that there will be massive opposition to this. So, it will be a hot topic, but I don't think it's going to go away in the, in the short, medium, or long term. Anything else, Tim? Just quickly on, on the rail. Um, been in dialogue with the rail companies and the Premier League, and we, we tried to get the TV company in as well, to talk about two things. One is notifying the Premier League when rail lines are shut. There, there used to be no mechanism. So Euston was shut August Bank Holiday last year. Premier League came up with the fixtures, had no idea that Euston was going to be shut. So they were running, that Everton were playing Arsenal. No idea at all. Anyway, that little loop, thanks to, I think, uh, to be honest, our intervention, has been closed. But it's got, cause it doesn't make any difference when they close Euston for three weekends. They can't mess the fixtures around for, for for three successive weekends so we are talking to them about that we're talking to them about making special trains more available i mean chelsea use virgin other clubs to be honest don't do anything and i think trying to get the rail industry to work with the individual clubs and the premier league to, to, to do more specials and the other thing is the the initiative whereby you buy a train ticket because you 13 weeks in advance of the cheapest tickets. Then the game gets moved. It gets moved to a Sunday afternoon or a Saturday lunchtime. So your ticket is invalid because you bought the cheapest non-flexible one. It's 
trying to work with the rail industry such that you can actually get, it becomes a flexible ticket. So if the game gets moved, you can move your ticket accordingly. Now that's not going to be a quick process because the rail industry are, you think the Premier League is slow, the, the rail industry are glacial. Um, but it, it is something that we are working on and we're, certainly I, I would hope we get some movement on that over the coming season. Having said that, Tim, the rail industry did take it upon themselves to announce to the BBC website a few weeks ago that they were they were um, moving that initiative onwards, and with no thought of it or no mention of them already being no. talking to the fans about it. No. So yeah, whether yeah. they wanted to get their own good publicity yeah. out of it, well, but. Yeah. I mean, Kat and I read that with amazement because we'd been in these meetings nine months ago, or six months ago, and then they turn around and say they're just holding the meeting. So somebody's playing games there. What a surprise. Um, That's true, Dermot. Um, Tim, I'd just like to, on behalf of everybody at the Trust of the Board, thank you for your sterling efforts, particularly at the Premier League group level, which, you know, this is kind of why we formed into being a trust, because... If you don't start having dialogue with the people that run the game and influence the game at the kind of level that Tim works at, then you get absolutely nowhere. And Tim's not just been part of that. He's taken the lead on so many of these issues for the last few years. So I'm very grateful to him for that, as we should all be. And again, just following on on supporters' issues that Tim is is not involved in, uh, with, we, we do have a um, an ongoing dialogue with the Met Police they have uh, they've really sort of mellowed towards supporters in the last few years uh, and want to get a good um dialogue going with fans and they they do have um the met have um at least one possibly two meetings a year with a london wide basis where where fans from all london teams go along to scotland yard i think Deb, you've been with me before haven't you um and the next one is uh next month so i mean if anyone fancies coming along with me you're more than welcome to do so just let me let me know and and you can come um they do discuss a a, a wide variety of things obviously there's some some issues they can't discuss that that are are sort of we're not privy to but they are very open um and we do have a good ongoing dialogue as well locally with the with the fulham police um particularly about the touting situation at at Stamford Bridge. Um, I mean, that's one of the uh, biggest sorts of complaints I think the Trust gets. And and on social media, you get get people complaining about as soon as you come out of Fulham Broadway Station, they're on you, or you just get through the barriers and they're on you, and then they're on you from from the station down to to Stamford Bridge. We have got an ongoing... um, thing going with the police about this and we hope to see some benefits of it this year i can't go into too much detail about it but hopefully something pretty major will happen this this season you're going to mention SAG. um yeah uh, for those that you don't know that there, there, there's a a local group the uh supporters um the safety advisory group they're, they're set up uh with the local authority the police uh the ambulance service a fire brigade Uncle Tom Cobbley and all, barring the supporters. So everything is discussed about what goes on in the stadium, the safety of the fans uh, uh, outside the stadium, access to the, to, to the underground, uh, what happens in Fulham, uh, Fulham Road after and before games, but the fans don't get any say in this. We are having some success, and hopefully we will have SAG uh, representatives on the SAG in the very near future. Um, Anne Ramage uh, is the lady that runs the um, SAG. She's actually from Kensington and Chelsea at Council, but they do it on a sort of um, 
cross council basis with Hammersmith and Fulham. Um, she is going to be at the next fans forum, which Chris attends for uh, Chris Rayburn attends for us, um, and she will be addressing the fans forum. But I hope to get in before then and 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 ask her if we can join it. Their next meeting is in January, I believe. They have biannual meetings January and uh, July, I think it is. Um, at least so we can put the fans' view of things that go on within the stadium and outside the stadium uh, across to them. And, and, and it's not all done from officialdom and, and, and from above passed down to, to what we should be doing on the street. Tim? Yeah, I think my concern, if it disappears into the fans' forum, is what happens then. Because the work has been done by this organisation and we understand the wider issues. No disrespect to Chris or some of the other fans forum members who do good work, but there are people on that body whose, whose view is so parochial, so narrow around their own unrepresentative, they represent nobody except themselves, that if you get somebody like that dealing with, with you know, council officials and, 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 you know, you're dealing with the police, you're dealing with the fire service, you're dealing with senior people, that you really need someone in there with the credibility because otherwise it will just, they'll be laughed off and they'll be out of it after two, two meetings. I, I was just going to add something. If you want a statement, if uh, well, you know, maybe probably not the best time for it, but I think you know how I feel about that. But I think there are ways. I think there are ways that we can perhaps circumvent that, which Cliff will work on. Because you're right. If 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 we don't, if we are not the representatives on the SAG, then it, that's just farcical. To, to go back to one of the uh, campaigns that this this uh, group managed to achieve was a ticket exchange and I just wanted to observe that I know we adopted a similar approach that Arsenal had about having tickets because we were concerned about when via GoGo but I noted this week that I think it's the company that owns Get Me In and they own a number of other brands for tickets have now been they've had so much uh, publicity and they're actually pulling the whole thing down because they because fans are getting so abused and the artists in particular music artists are complaining about the ongoing adding to chat so it does show commercial pressure can actually work in the longer term and what we've been showing and it shows it, it can have traction that's actually Ticketmaster, yeah. charles yeah they own to a couple of secondary uh, tickets in organizations yeah i'll just um on that um issue of um tickets out you know um I think it's fair play to um, the Metropolitan Police and uh, our our local football liaison officer, Paul Wright, that they're on Twitter trying to engage with the supporters. And um, when he, this week, put something out about touts, he got absolutely slaughtered. But what supporters have got to realise is that there are uh, probably half a dozen Metropolitan Police Officers who are at Stanford Bridge every week. All the, the overwhelming vast majority of police officers who you see on the streets of Fulham Broadway at Fulham during Chelsea home matches are drafted in. So they, whilst the supporters who come out of Fulham Broadway see the same faces touting tickets every week, those police officers don't. And they might be, you know, that the football liaison officers are aware of those people. But, as I said, the ordinary Bobby on the beat who gets drafted in might not necessarily be aware of them. 
the police's main priority, and I've got to agree with them, is to prevent disorder on the streets. And as far as their list of priorities is concerned, it is preventing disorder rather than some bod earning a few hundred quid selling a ticket, whatever you think about it. And um, I think the police have got to be given a certain amount of leeway as far as uh, that that particular subject's concerned. Hold on, hold on. I just, I just have to hold on. I just have to slightly disagree with Dave there because um, touting can cause disorder within the ground. So you know there, there is something that they need to clamp down. Yeah. So they, they do need to clamp down on it from that perspective as well as well as touts ripping people off. So. Gangs of people running around the streets like battering seven bells out of each other, or you know, yeah, the good old days. <laughs> Maybe we can focus the attention on the town. No, that's all right. Just two points from my side. Um, the first one is that a couple of times, whenever I have a free ticket or spare ticket for a game, and they've helped me my, myself a lot of time, um, we almost feel. We 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 almost feel like criminals, like exchanging those tickets outside of the stadium, as if we are doing something illegally. I think it would be in the interest of the organization like this one to advocate, create um, an exchange place where genuine fans, for a face value, could exchange their tickets between each other without being accused of being touts, and making sure that genuine fans who didn't get tickets for one reason or another can get them from people who for some reason or another cannot attend games. That's one point. Second point, and this is what I would call that my international experience comes in, I always I feel baffled about why a club like Chelsea, a global, a global superpower, has not introduced plastic tickets, just like season tickets, for their fans, and we keep using the paper tickets that literally only encourage people and touts to continue doing their business. Um... As some of you know, I'm, I'm from Poland. There is an issue of uh, hooliganism. That's one way of how that topic came about. And you no longer have paper tickets. I, w- I went to Turkey recently. Every single stadium you want to enter, there are no paper tickets. If you want to go to the stadium, you create your so-called membership card. It could be temporary. It could be for a year or so, where every ticket is loaded. Just like we have our season tickets loaded for our plastic cards. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And uh, with that uh, thing happening, I mean, I went to Galatasaray, huge game. There were literally no touts whatsoever because their job is impossible. Yeah. And for a club like Chelsea, who talks about innovation, who abo- about you know reaching to the global audience, we can we we cannot we ca- I mean they you know I don't want to criticize them too much. The sandwiches are ready, but um, <laughs> you know this is this is this is something that I'm I'm kind of amused that with. Uh, the membership cards being uh, mailed to the fans every year with our season tickets being mailed why won't we just go without uh, the paper tickets those two points for me I think uh, really good points Robert yeah uh, uh, Chelsea just haven't got the technology to do that at the moment we've we've been suggesting it for years and years that 
um, you get your season ticket, and, and at the start of the season, you can commit to all cup games on it. So, so cup games can be loaded onto your season ticket without you having to get a paper ticket for that. But they just haven't got the technology to do it in, in the ticket office. So the hope is within the new stadium, when the new stadium is built, they should have the latest up-to-date spot-on technology. You can walk down to Fulham Broadway, use your Oyster card, and bang, you're through. You can put some money on it, bang, you're through for the next time. It seems so simple. And ironically, Chelsea have got the guy working for them now, Chris Townsend, who's, who's the marketing director, I think, who was the guy in charge of TFL when they implemented the Oyster card scheme. So hopefully, I mean, it may be too late for, for what's going on here at Stamford Bridge now, but hopefully within the new stadium, they will have the latest up-to-date technology. So it's more, more very, sorry, mate, just very quickly. I know there's a question for you, Mick, one from you, Steve, and then uh, the sandwiches are here. So if people want to have a quick break uh, and have a quick munch on a sandwich, have a comfort break, whatever, can I suggest we'll do these two questions and then whenever they're finished, we have a 10-minute break. Is that okay with everybody? Good, me. That's right. More of an observation, really. I um, got to Wembley earlier and I was having a, a long conversation with a copper as to why they don't nick more touts. I don't know wh- whether this is right or not. And you were saying basically asking for tickets, asking for people to give them tickets is not the illegal bit. The illegal bit that they can nick them for is actually the financial transaction. And it's the financial transaction that happens around the back of the bike sheds the financial transaction doesn't happen in the street. So although it really winds us up, that's not the thing that they can nick them for, and they physically just don't have enough police to see where those things are happening. As a downside, what, why don't Chelsea TV actually, sorry, why don't Chelsea actually put some CCTV cameras up so that they can actually view this and then pass it on to the police? Actually, another reason is the law's badly drafted. So if you gave me your ticket and I gave the money to Chidge and he gave you the money, that's legal. I wouldn't give it to him. Away season ticket holders really ought to have plastic cards. <coughs> Just um, with the, you know, you have to have all the clubs doing it. But that's the huge. That's one huge loophole in the whole system, and I don't, this is a. How much is this club worth? And they cannot upgrade their systems to use plastic cards. I don't. All everywhere that goes in allows plastic cards to be used. I just don't get it. Well, the clubs certainly have the money to do it. Um, I just wonder what the will is, and that's something that we can't answer. Right. Okay. We're going to have a ten. Shall we reconvene at half past three? Uh, I'll just say before you have a break, we're way over schedule, but I don't mind because actually I've, there's more interactivity with you guys asking us questions than I've experienced on an AGM, and I think that's worth it. And I know the, the, the main body of the meeting was scheduled for two hours. We've got it until five. So unless you tell me otherwise, you keep going as you are. Cheech. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chich, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. 
It's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow, great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK, and best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, so where were we? Oh, I know, AGM. Uh, Cliff, is there... um? Anything you would like to add on the supporters' issues? I mean, you know, about things like Barcelona and what we did on that and what we do on that. Um, yeah, for, I mean, for those of you who remember, Chelsea fans got uh, very badly treated at Barcelona away game last year. Um, there was a big response um, when the club asked people to send in emails about their treatment out there. They did compile everything together. They put in a complaint to UEFA. And unfortunately, it gets kind of bogged down in the bureaucracy of UEFA, but they are following it up. So there's nothing to add to to what they said that they've done. Uh, The complaint is with UEFA, as I say. I spoke to Keith Overstall, who's head of security. Uh, Dave and I and Amanda Jacks had a meeting with him on Friday. He said it is ongoing. They haven't forgotten about it, but it, it will take time. Um, just moving on to something slightly different as well, um, supporters' issues. Some of you may be aware that the shed end um, seating arrangements were changed um, for this season. It meant some season ticket holders who had been sitting in the shed upper and lower had to move their seats, had to lose their seats uh, because disabled access has been um, enlarged at Stamford Bridge. And although their seats may not have actually directly been used for new disabled seating, they had to move them because the segregation line was was moved over slightly in the shed end, upper and lower, to allow for more disabled seatings to be put in the away section and to keep their capacity uh, for the away tickets at the level that it should be. Um, the entire two first two rows of, rows of the west stand lower were lost for... Um, to be used for disabled seating. Uh, There's new disabled seating at the back of the east stand, lower both sections, and as I say, but in the shed lower, home side and away side. Um, So Stamford Bridge capacity has been reduced this season by about 500, I think. But 
Chelsea have had to implement this uh, as a proportion for disabled seatings for the ground, and it's something they should have done 10 years ago. They've been humming and hawing about it, and it's only the fact that they've been threatened with legal action by various disabled bodies that they have actually done it now. So it, it has caused a lot of concern, obviously, to the people that have been moved, that have been moved out of their season tickets that they've had for some years, and the club did admit to us that they had handled it badly. Um, fortunately, I think most of the people that were affected have found at least a good seats in the equivalent stands that they were they were moved from, but it has sort of broken them up from the people that they've sat around for years, but. Unfortunately, that's how it is. But we did help out with that. And uh, again, Dave and I had a tour of the new disabled facilities on, on Friday afternoon. And to be fair, they look very, really good. Um, so thanks to Chelsea eventually for doing that. What do you want? Don't talk with your mouth full. We had an, uh, Paul got an email about it this morning and um, fair play to um, Graham Smith, the ticket office manager and the guy who's uh, dealing with the disabled people. He's, um, he's straight on it, wasn't he? So um, fair play to him for that one. Marvellous. All right. Um, other than all of that, Henry. I think it's, it's fair to say twice a year we have a meeting with all the other Premier League fans groups and one guaranteed agenda item will be what action we can take. Because I don't think we should take action in isolation. It has to be across the Premier League supporters groups. And the, I, I believe that the meeting will be in September, which runs into the Premier League meeting in October. So the idea is we formulate policy and we've got time to sort of t- to take it forward. The thing you need to remember about the, the Premier League meeting as well is it's a two-hour meeting, but Scudamore has only ever stayed for 45 minutes because he's such a busy man. So you really, really have to focus on, w- on what you're covering. And obviously, I think safe standing is going to be one. We, you, you can't go in with eight issues for him. You have to get two or three. But I think it's fair to say that pressure is building from within a number of trusts for, for more action to be taken. It's just about doing something realistic. We have talked about boycotts in the past, and I know we had a, there was a, b- a walkout at, at Liverpool that did work, but to be honest, you know, their fan base may be different, may be different from ours, and I, 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 I'm nervous of doing a gesture that doesn't work. But I agree we have to do something. We have to keep these issues in the agenda. We have to drive the agenda as well. But I think you can take it as read. It will be discussed in September, and whatever we do, we'll, we'll run into the Premier League meeting in October. Lovely. Thanks, Tim. Right, yeah. Um, actually, in a sense, that segues right back into what I was going to talk about, Henry, because uh, it's uh, about affiliations and as well as the Premier League 
uh, group and uh, all of the other supporters trusts and supporters direct and football supporters federation that you know we work very closely with and collectively with there are also other organizations too and of course uh, I think arguably from a Chelsea point of view the most important of those is the Chelsea pitch owners who we uh, we offer a lot of support to um, as and when we can we were most of us most of the board were at, were at the AGM in January and uh, backed the motions that they put before us. Um, you know, irrespective of what's happening with the stadium per se, I still think that, you know, supporting the CPO is absolutely imperative. You can never say never in this life. And they are, yeah, and they are, we are, we're so lucky, we're uniquely positioned to have a safeguard like the CPO. So the board and the trust support as a whole is full full and four square behind them and on that point actually bless his heart charles uh uh, posted to me a whole raft of uh application forms for shares i will be amazed if there's anybody here who who needs one of these because i'm sure you're all cpo shareholders but if on the peculiar chance you might not be if you want to grab one of these on your way out and fill them in i mean one of the things that cpo did at the uh agm at the turn of the year was to in effect, reduce the share price. I mean, they were always available for about 100 quid a go, but now you can buy kind of a second-class version to share for 25 quid. And the reason they've done that, I think, is, is laudable because it's, it's obviously making it cheaper, easier to afford, but hopefully it will, it will attract a lot of younger shareholders in because old gits like me won't be around forever, so we need the youngsters to get on board too. But anyway, if, you don't, if you're not a shareholder, there are some application forms here. I commend it to you. You won't regret it. Uh, you can, you can. No, I mean, I, I mean, peculiar, Steve. We quite often get. Um, the, I think the CPO gets uh, emails occasionally on, on that basis, and they quite often put it forward to us, and we will get in touch with people if they want to do, to bequeath it to anybody, and they can can bequeath it to to us, for example. Um, the other affiliations we have, obviously, in which we have something that we're very keen to increase and uh, work harder on is with other i mean i mentioned to the the, the young lady earlier on uh, is, are, you, are you louisa by any chance catherine, catherine i apologize catherine um but uh we try and affiliate with as many official supporters clubs both in the uk and overseas as we can uh we do quite well with the overseas lot and uh, actually i was delighted we we, we got our first kind of you know, we've always done historically well with the Americans and the Australians for, for obvious reasons, I suspect. But this year, uh, the Chelsea Malaysia, official Chelsea Malaysia supporters group signed up to us, which I'm delighted by. But, you know, I think part of our remit is to be as re- representative as widely as we can. So when we can partner with organizations from every corner of the globe, it makes, our, I think, makes us a much more creditable voice so we will work harder to do that and of course i mean you know i spoke to um tony o'callaghan for the first time this week who's uh the the head of the the, the midlands uh, official supporters group so you know it works both ways i think it's equally important right um next up i do believe um is something that uh, a lot of us here hold very dear to our heart and that's the work that this fine gentleman to my left does in the community, but particularly with Brompton Cemetery. So Cliff will update you on all of that. Um, for those of you that don't know, um, for a couple of years now, we've been doing work over at Brompton Cemetery. Um, 
there's, there's half a dozen graves over there now that are associated with Chelsea Football Club. Um, an ex-player, an ex-manager, and four founding fathers of the of the football club are, are buried over there. Um, their graves are not in disrepair, but they're a bit, bit tatty, a bit overgrown. So we've we've, we've cleared them over the years and, uh, um, and and done some good work over there. And, and ultimately, it led up to the. Um, for the first time this year, on March the 10th, we, we held a, a Founders' Day memorial over there. Um, Rick Glanville, the Chelsea historian, the official Chelsea historian, done a, a guided tour of the of the grave sites for the people that attended. And uh, at the end of that tour, we met up at the Gus Mears Memorial and laid a wreath uh, on, on his grave on behalf of the Chelsea Supporters Trust. And, and it was great that... Um, Chelsea Football Club turned up and laid a wreath. Uh, Bruce Buck, the chairman, came over there. Um, Graham Smith, the uh, sports liaison and ticketing uh, officer, and Steve Atkins, the communications director, all all attended. So let's hopefully that's something that we can do on on a on an annual basis. And um, you know, it's something possibly has been neglected in the past that 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 the club haven't been involved, and and, and to an extent, the supporters haven't either. But it is an ongoing thing, and uh, we've got a good relationship with the people that look after Brompton Cemetery now, and we've got some uh, initiatives that we're, we're keen to uh, move ahead with them uh, with uh, in the next few months. Uh, and possibly, um, this is the, yeah, this is the hundredth year anniversary of the end of the First World War. Um, the Chelsea pensioners have got a memorial in Brompton Cemetery. And, of course, there's a tie-in with the Chelsea Pensioners with Chelsea Football Club. So hopefully we can get something going around November the 11th. Um, we're at home to Everton that day. So we're hoping that we can do something in, in that respect. But nothing's in, in place, uh, for concrete, uh, concretely in place at the moment. Um, another initiative that we had that run up to Christmas was uh, we were collecting food on behalf of the local food bank, which is um, in, in Parsons Green of all areas, I mean, which is a very well-to-do, wealthy area, you'd think. But they were busier than ever this year for people wanting food, which is crazy when you think about it. But for logistical reasons, and mainly due to that man over there moving out of his flat, <laughs> we stopped. We stopped doing it in January because we had Paul was kind enough to let us store the food in his flat while the game was on, and I collect it afterwards and deliver it to them. But we're in talks with the with the football club at the moment, whereby hopefully we can store the food that we collect at, at Dave CFC UK stall and store it within the confines of Stamford Bridge, and then the food bank people will collect it on the Monday after the game or the next day after the game. So, as I say, we're on ongoing talks with them at the moment, and hopefully in the next couple of matches we'll have the food bank collection up and running once again. Um, we're looking at a number of um, heritage product projects to do in the future, and there's one in particular that uh, I, I want to discuss with our friends and affiliate members of the old Chelsea Supporters Club. I don't know if you're all aware of them. They've been around forever. They were founded in 1947, Dave, I think it was, wasn't it? It was the 70th anniversary. It was indeed last year, yeah. yeah. So um, hopefully, you know, watch out for them, and, and hopefully you can, you can all support them. But... Um, that's about it, I think, from me for the community stuff. Thank you. As always, massive thanks to Cliff. He does a fantastic job in that. So. <laughs> I'm just wondering, actually, when you talk about Rick as our Chelsea historian, we should call him We Ain't Got No Rick Glanville, maybe. 
you know. But anyway, it's a shame he's not here because he also is very supportive of us, of us and uh, Cliff's efforts at Brompton. So there we go. Right, I just want to kind of round up the annual report bit. Uh, that's kind of the working group bits done. Um, but just to kind of <clears throat> give you an overall summary, really, of what we've been up to other than that. Um, clearly, communication with our membership is, is massively important. And uh, in a sense, the AGM is the... Uh, the kind of the most important physical thing that we do. Um, but we, uh, as Tim always used to, look, to say, we are kind of mandated to have four meetings a year, including the uh, AGM, and they come in the form of special general meetings, SGMs. Uh, I'm afraid, and uh, I, 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 thankfully I'm out of reach of Tim at the moment, otherwise he might thump me, but we failed in our duty last year. However, it was not for want of trying. Um, we face, and actually this is very much part of Tim's area as he was discussing, we have a major problem trying to have special general meetings on a match day uh, in the area. Um, we've always felt that having a meeting on a match day was the most sensible thing to do. You're all here already. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? The trouble is, is that you need to book these places like the Atlas quite a way in advance. They often get mobbed by the Norwegian lot when they come over. But of course, the biggest issue is the bloody television companies moving the fixture dates. And, of course, they do it, you know, quite often much later notice than we need. So it's, last year particularly was very, very difficult. Um, but that, that aside, I'd personally like to apologise for not fulfilling our remit of doing as many meetings as we would like to. Um, what I would say is that I think, you know, in view of that, if, if it's going to be continually... A problem having them on a match day then we might try and consider having them on another day and just take a flyer on that I mean I, I personally would rather do it on the match day I know that we have more people here it makes more sense but actually nevertheless it's important that we have the meeting so you know we'll, we'll have a think of that during the year um, but we'll keep you posted on that but as I, said, I just really wanted to kind of apologize for the fact that we hadn't uh, the other apology that I, I, I and the board owe you is for the lack of newsletters this year. Um, my fault, really, for being too busy. But thankfully, uh, the wonderful Rob Palmer, wherever he's gone, he's over there, has uh, decided to, A, take responsibility for it, and B, kick me up the derriere to make sure we, we get them out far more regularly than we do. Um, you might think that in this day and age of social media and everything else, that what do you mean you'd have to do a newsletter? Well, actually, they are very important. You know, Not everybody... Uh, has Twitter or Facebook or Instagram and everything else. And uh, you only have to ask this person on the far left who runs a very, very, well, the best fanzine for Chelsea supporters. And the demand for that proves that not everybody is into the whole social media thing. So, yeah, our newsletters are very important. And with, with Rob's help, we will do more this year, I promise you. Um, that aside, our website had a major kind of reboot this year, um, not least to incorporate the membership admin, so we've got more control of that. Um, but we try and get as much news out on that uh, as we can. It's a very important communication tool for us, as well as now helping us to administer the uh, membership. Uh, our social media goes from strength to strength. I think one area that we've been very good at on, on recent years is certainly Twitter, less so Facebook, but thankfully we co-opted Lucy Caton this time last year, and she now looks after all of that. Rob is very keen to use that as a tool to increase the awareness of the trust, so uh, keep supporting us via there as well. Uh, the annual survey I'm going to talk about in a minute, but uh, last but by no means least when it comes to communication, 
uh, is the media coverage. And, and I think, you know, ever since we started, we've always been very, very good at getting positive media coverage about the trust and more to the point about the issues that are important to you. Um, and there are there are several of us who, who quite often get interviewed on the radio or on the TV um, or in the broadsheets or in the tabloids, whatever. Uh, and we've become, I would say, the first point of call for important supporters issues. And, for example, I got emailed, you know, very early on after the whole La Liga incident kicked off, you know, with the 39th game or whatever by the Daily Mail. And as a, as a result, in fact, actually, Kieran put... I mean, I just pinged him an email back, and he put the whole quote in. There was no editing of it. So I think once they get to know who you are, they come to you first, and they, they don't kind of muck around with it. And it's really important. It gets the message out there, and it gets the fact that we are a creditable organization out there. And as I said, I'd like to thank everybody who has been involved with that this year. Dave gets lots of mentions on Radio 5. Cliff's done stuff on the community Tim regularly gets quoted and approached as well as myself. So it, it, it might seem like it's a bit of an ego trip, but there is a real important reason behind it, and I'm very proud personally about the coverage that we do get. So there we go. Our final point on the, on the annual report really is just to thank all of the board members who were elected last year, who were myself, Cliff, Henry, Dave, Charles, Chris Rabin, Ramsey Shamus, Dan Silver, who apologizes and can't be here, and Richard Weeks. Uh, we also had Stuart Kenner co-opted Tim, Paul and Rob, as you know, and Lucy, uh, and Debs, of course, who, who still very much is involved with the Trust, to my delight, uh, and uh, long may that continue. And, of course, Pablo is the secretary. Now, uh, Charles and Ramsey and Richard have all decided not to seek re-election for next year, so I would just like to, on behalf of the board and the membership, thank them massively for their efforts, not just over last year, but for years prior to that as well. They do a fantastic job, and they deserve a round of applause, so thank you. Okay, Pablo, do you want to just quickly say what you have to say about the Secretary's report, and then I'll get on with the the survey uh, summary. Yeah, sure. Um, I will park all of the election and motion issues for that part of the the show. But really... um, not much more to add. We've, Paul's covered off the um, the membership side of things. Chid just covered off the account side of things. Uh, the key bits, really, I suppose, in terms of the secretary's report. And there's not been any kind of procedural or structural change within the way that w- in which we operate over the, the last year. So, yeah, not much else else to add, really. I think Paul is saying, in his very humble way, that it's a well-oiled machine. So, stop. Don't you don't need to worry. And we're, I mean, again, Paul, Paul's legal knowledge is very helpful. In, in that to make sure I mean really you know he makes sure that we don't go off off piste at all and, and, and do things that are not within our power and constitution and he keeps us in order very very well so again thanks to Pablo uh, right moving on to the uh, I would say arguably the most important thing we do which is the annual survey um, we've been now you know we've been doing it since we started I mean I know, I know we've done some specific ones as well and, and we will continue to do that but uh, at the end of the day in a membership driven organization like this it's the views of the membership which dictate the uh, policy and the work that we do and a lot of this comes out of the questions that we ask in the survey and uh, Celia Men- uh, Mendelssohn used to do it back in the day and she did a fine job and we've pretty much taken on her work, although Ramsey, the last couple of years, has been the man doing it, and he's very apologetic about not being here today. As I said, he's uh, hopefully laughing a lot at Edinburgh Festival. Um, 
the fundamental difference is, is a couple of years ago we decided to open it up because we felt that uh, you know it's so good it deserves wider appeal response call it what you will so you know through our social uh, media channels and you know people affiliated to us we try and get the message out and get as many people to do it as possible and i have to say that that has really worked to treat because we've had a super response this year uh you know thousands which is way more than we used to get when we started and that's important because the more people we have filling it in uh the the you know the more important our voice becomes, the more seriously it gets taken by the club. What was particularly pleasing this year, uh, and, th- and I speak for everybody in the board when I say this, is the number of 16 to 25-year-olds who are participating in it, you know, more than ever before. Uh, and obviously, you know, these guys are the future of the club, so it's it's massively important that they are, they're getting engaged. And I think, interestingly enough, it's possibly because we've opened it up and it's possibly because we pump it so heavily on social media, which, of course, is you know, what the kids like in it. Uh, and, and I have to say, old kids like me. But um, it's really good to see them getting involved. And hopefully, you know, that, I mean, I, I don't know whether this is coincidental, but this is the first AGM where I've seen so many new and younger faces. And it's delighted to see you. You know who you are. I won't embarrass you further, but it's lovely to see you here. I wonder whether that might be as a result of that. Uh, the majority of the uh, respondents are based in London and the South East and, and about three-quarters of the total are in the UK, which is kind of what you would, would expect. Uh, now, it came out before uh, the club announced the you know putting the stadium redevelopment on hold, but uh, you won't be surprised to hear that, obviously, we still asked the question about you know the temporary stadium because we didn't know what was happening at that stage. And uh, basically... The figures remain the same. In other words, 50% of people were supportive of Twickenham, 40% were supportive of Wembley, and 10% of Stratford. So clearly, uh, you know, we don't like the idea of Wembley or Stratford, whatever Dave says, which, I, I, you know, ultimately I don't think we'll have any choice about where the club will go. But I think the point is, is that we get these responses back and we, we let the club know that. And in fact, when this is finally collated and put together by Ramsey in a couple of weeks, it forms the basis of the uh, the main meeting that we have with the club and the directors like Bruce Buck every year. And as I said, you know, year on year, they get more and more interested in what the survey has to say and take it more seriously. Um, the interesting thing that we picked up this year, uh, and we were all quite surprised by this when we saw this, but uh, there were an increased number of responses that were actually opposed to the stadium development altogether. Um, we wondered if that might have something to do with the frustration about how long it's taken Perhaps it's a frustration about knowing that they're going to have to move somewhere else for a number of years. And it may also have been due to what they've seen happening with places like Spurs. But that was interesting, and we didn't expect that at all. Uh, And uh, it has to be said, one of the strongest messages that came out from the survey this year was the support for the introduction of safe standing. And I think, you know, from what Henry was saying earlier, um, it's clearly gathering huge momentum, the safe standing campaign. And I think you know, supporters generally are getting far more knowledgeable about what it really, really entails. So the FSF and John Darch in particular need a huge pat on the back for getting that message across. Um, and within, you know, the Chelsea context, and we, we do point the questions this way, but, uh, you know, we asked in the context of a new Bill Stadium, um, you know, what their response would be. And, and it was very, very positive about wanting to stay standing at a, at a new Stamford Bridge. It was very, very positive about it it would you know hugely help the atmosphere so the two are seen 
to go hand in hand. And I think, you know, really uh, the message that gets put across to us is that we need to do everything that we can to get the club on message and behind this as soon as we can. No easy task, obviously, but, you know, we will keep keep pushing that and making that our voice heard in that respect. Uh, other issues that come up, obviously, every year are things like ticket, high, uh, ticket prices, which, you know, generally people feel are too high. Uh, many more were saying this year that they've put off. I mean, this is interesting if you think about it because the tickets have not increased for something like seven out of the last 12 years. It's been pretty stable, which for which we should be very grateful. But I think the reality is is that that's okay, but it starts from a high base. Uh, and I, but, So I'm surprised that, that people are still saying that they're too high, but, you know, football in the modern world is way too expensive in my view. I worry that the the damage has already been done in terms of the alienation of a lot of the what I would call the more traditional supporter base. But it's good to see that again, that message is still getting through uh, through the survey. Uh, a recurrent theme was the need to provide for the fans of the future um, with more availability and options for younger supporters, uh, not just for the junior supporters, but for the younger adults. Again, a lot a lot of this is due to you know basically the the huge cost of living and working in London and the transition from you know, being a kid and having your dad or, or mum buying them for you and then suddenly being faced with an 800 quid bill or whatever it is. Uh, so that's coming across too. Um, and again, you know, the the kind of conflation of getting younger supporters in and also standing, which is what a lot of them are capable of doing, unlike old people like me, um, but also the increase in the atmosphere that that would generate are all seen as very much linked in, which I think is important, again, to register. Uh, Tim will be delighted that uh, the responses to the TV companies uh, not telling us in enough time uh, when the uh, kickoffs when, when they're changed is still very very hot topic in here. Uh, the interesting thing is that more than fifty percent supported a minimum of six to eight weeks' notice for rearranged schedules or for the actual you know when they announced them in, in in the first place. So that's still very strong. For the first time, we uh, included a question. Uh, on uh, on the winter break, uh, which hadn't actually been announced, ironically, when we did the survey. It subsequently was, and I think went completely against what everybody wanted in terms of their response in the survey. What a surprise. Uh, in fact, actually, about you know two to one were in favour of a, of a winter break, and most were preferring a single weekend break for all clubs over a staggered one, which, of course, was the one that was announced. But there you go. Um, the other thing to pick up, two other things to pick up on which are really important. We always ask uh, questions of uh, what people think about the club and the football, really. I mean, um, although we, we have very little influence over what happens on the pitch and we try and keep it to supporters' issues, we still ask the questions. And so, surprise, surprise, when things haven't gone particularly well, that's when people kick the club a bit. And there was significant dissatisfaction with some aspects of running the club, uh, such as their lack of footballing knowledge on the board and a poor recruitment operation in the transfer window. Um, I wonder if there's a bit of egg on face after the signing of Ar- Ariza Balega. Did I get that right? Kepper. Thank you. No one knows. Dave Two, I believe. Dave Two. Yeah. The new goalie. Thank you, Cliff. Um, but, yeah, you know, I mean, we... It, <laughs> As I said, our, our remit really is to is to pressure the club on things like ticket prices, allocations, loyalty points, safe standing, all of that kind of stuff. It's not our remit to tell them what players to sign. But nevertheless, it's the supporters' trust and it's got Chelsea in front of it. 
there's only one reason why we all come here, and it's to watch what goes on. And actually, you know, it would be remiss of us not to ask our membership those questions and feed that back to the board, irrespective. So we do. Now, the last thing is a is a is a question that we've had for the last three years. Unsurprisingly, it's come out with the same response for the last three years. Who is the supporters' liaison officer at Chelsea Football Club? <laughs> what is the supporters' liaison officer at Chelsea Football Club, and what should they do? The answer is nobody knows on all three bases. Well, they actually know what they want. They want somebody who can actually represent the supporters' interests and do it in a way that they are not conflicted at all by any other means, which, to our utter surprise, is why we wonder why a very delightful man, it has to be said, and if you've ever met him, which you will have done if you've ever had any issues with ticketing, he's an incredibly helpful and lovely bloke. But we all believe, and this will feed into one of the motions that we're going to look at in a minute, we all believe that... um, you can't be head of ticketing, and you can't be the designated supporters liaison officer, which he is. He's an important, not just a not not just an employee of the club. He's a very important employee of the club as the head of ticketing. And considering that most supporters' issues are around ticketing, it's a ridiculous conflict. Um, aside from the fact that comes through in the survey for the last three years that nobody has a clue that that's what his role is and what it's for and what it does. So there are many, many issues in that, and the consistency in the response, I think, says it all, um, which is why it's uh, been fed into one of our motions, as I said, as you'll see in a minute. Um, I think that's pretty much it, uh, you know, about the survey, other than to say that, you know, uh, Ramsey's got a better work. I mean, I've got, like, the draft here. If anybody wants to have a quick look before they go, you're most welcome to, Um, but it'll all be smartened up into a nice pdf document it'll be put on the website it'll be sent to the membership first i mean that's the point you lot get the first look at it we then send it to the club and then we send it to the press and then a couple of weeks later we kind of present it in more detailed manner to bruce buck and a few of the other directors and make them aware of some of the issues that are grinding your gears the most so it's a very very important thing the other thing of course as i said you know we get new things coming in every year and that will feed into the motions that we all discuss in a couple of board meetings before the AGM. Uh, and that, you know, that goes a long way to forming the motions, which you then vote on. So you know, it really is at the, the, the core of what we do, the survey. Very, very important. Uh, and thank you very much for getting involved and filling it in in the numbers that you have this year, which has been very pleasing. So that's it for the survey. Um, thankfully, I, my voice gets a rest. And Pablo is going to tell you all about the board elections, unless there are any questions before I go on to that. Lovely. Either either that means I'm so clear that everybody understands everything I say, or you haven't had a clue what I've said. But either way, I'm happy there are no questions. Thanks, Chidge. Um So this is the first time we've had a contested election since 2015, I think, um, which is pleasing because it shows that there are still people who are interested in standing for the board and um, whatnot for... Um, for those of you who are new to the process, um, no voting takes place at all at this meeting. What will happen, all being well, is that um, all paying members, so all of you guys, will receive a SurveyMonkey link tomorrow morning. Um, voting will then be open for, for two weeks after that, and we will announce all the results following that. Um, we ask you on the um, in terms of the the board election. There are ten people standing. There are nine places on the board. Um, so you, you'll vote for nine of the ten, um, and those nine with the most votes get elected. It's quite simple. Um, 
I think in in the past when um, when there has been a contested election, there's kind of been an agreement by the board that whoever stands but doesn't get elected is um, offered um, the opportunity to be co-opted onto the board and can pretty much participate in exactly the same way. And I think that's um, well something that I would fully expect to continue they, they this can year. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. But I mean, in terms in terms of that, I think if um, for those of you who have been in our board meetings, and that's obviously only people who've been on the board. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the all, all views are taken into account in the same in the same way, really, co-optees or um, or full full members. Um, so yeah, I would fully expect that to happen again this year for whoever the one person is that doesn't get elected but yeah thank you to everyone who is standing it's really great to see new faces um particularly and um some returning faces as well um yeah so that's pretty much it for the um for the for the board elections unless anyone has any questions on the process the um the policy is all is all online um and on the website but yeah if anyone's got any questions happy happy to take those Cool. Um, in terms of the motions, then, um, so which you'll vote on at the same time as the um, as the board elections. The first two are kind of longer standing ones. So there's the, there's the motion on the accounts and the use of the independent examiner. Um, the independent examiner has worked pretty well over the, over the last few years. I think it's fair to say, and our income is frankly not going to be reaching the level at which we think we probably need to have fully audited accounts by an accountant. Um, so, yeah, I mean... It, <laughs> well, unless, well, yeah, unless Mr. Brownrich sells up to Hicks and Gillette. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't think there's anything to, to worry about there. Um, and likewise, the um, the affiliations point which is the um the motion after that is um another long-standing one where we basically continue to to work with the fsf and sd which is there's quite an interesting point on that actually yeah, isn't there which exactly, I, you're right pablo i completely forgot to tell you about that earlier on in the annual report but uh, hey ho uh, you always get a second chance in life yes i mean the supporters direct is very important to us they they are the umbrella group for anybody who is constituted as a supporters trust which is what we are um, and then, of course, there's the Football Supporters Federation, who you could argue do much the same thing, and we are affiliated to as an associate member. Um, the reality is, is that over the last few years, there's been a bit of a turf war going on, and it's come, it's come to a head because, effectively, they get, they get government funding, and the government have squeezed them and are really you know, looking to cut that funding. So without getting into a half-an-hour diatribe about what's really been going on, the long and the short of it is is that they have been mooting for, I'd say, at least a year. Maybe Tim can correct me on that. But they've, be, they've been discussing about the, the possibility of merging the two organizations. As it happens, this suits us as a trust quite well because Supporters Direct, um, one of their fundamental reasons is to, to be is to get Supporters Trust to have ownership of their football club. I'll just pause to let that sink in the possibility of us as a trust doing that at Chelsea are about as much likely as me getting selected to play against Newcastle next weekend believe me I wasn't very good at football that ain't happening 
So, you know, there's a bit of a divergence. And what we found is that the Football Supporters Federation um, actually do a very good job uh, in discussing a lot of the issues that, that float our boat. I mean, safe standings, the obvious example. Supporters Direct didn't have a position on that. FSF have driven that. It really affects us. It's important. Um, and there was also a slight divergence in the fact that there's a very, very, very strong Premier League uh, trusts group. Uh, Tim was telling you about that earlier on. Who whilst it's difficult to make substantive progress on issues, make a hell of a racket and are very forceful and powerful in doing so nevertheless. So it was quite an easy decision for us. And it was, you know, I had the vote on behalf of the board and, and the membership uh, to, and I voted for the, member, uh, for, the, for the merger. So in the next few months, the uh, Sports Direct and the FSF will, will actually now look at the uh, machinations of how they merge and there will be a new organization that's there to represent all supporters um i think that's a good thing i think that uh you know shared resources uh can be difficult there'll now be one organization with one level of funding and uh, hopefully well we'll continue to support it obviously wholeheartedly because it's very important for the voice of supporters but yeah that's the only change so really what what will happen with that motion and actually the vote the vote on that happened after we wrote the motion so I'm not sure whether we might want to change that or should we leave it as it is because it hasn't technically gone through yet, I don't think. No, I think it's too late, yes. And I don't think it matters because it was done before. But I just thought I'd let you know that. So sorry to hijack that for a second, Pablo. No, all good. Um, so the rest of the motions I will actually hand back to Chidge and others to, to go through. But um, these are effectively the ones that are born out of the evidence that you as the membership give us uh, when in responding to the survey or other issues raised around the season. So these are kind of directly born out of out of what the membership wants. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to bore you all silly and read every line of this, um, largely because a lot of them, you know, remain in place from last year. Um, but I'll, I'll kind of give you the headlines of these. If there are any questions, I suggest what we do is, you know, ask us the questions and we'll, we'll do our best to answer them. Um, obviously, you know, for Stamford Bridge, Dave filled us in on the on the current situation that with that, but we're obviously wanting to work with the club and any relevant stakeholders in that as much as we can to make sure the interests of supporters are protected in a new stadium, in the temporary stadium, whatever it happens to be. So in a sense, the situation hasn't changed there. And you could say the same for Motion 5. The situation hasn't really change with the CPO. Um, we back it and support its aims and are committed to doing so, irrespective of what happens, new stadium, no stadium, whatever. You know, we Our, our support for them remains tantamount to that. Uh, safe standing. We've changed slightly, haven't we, Henry? Um, just to reflect kind of the upgrade on that. But the, you know, the, the spirit of it remains the same. Obviously, we're hugely committed to it. Uh, atmosphere again that hasn't changed that still remains the same and we do our best to make sure that the club uh, are you know having dialogue with the supporters so that we can improve the atmosphere through singing sections flag and banners displays whatever it happens to be uh, ticket pricing and availability again um, you know we are mandated to try and uh, encourage fair ticket pricing for home and away but also, I mean, this is an important point, given what I was saying about the Sports Direct Football Supporters Federation. A lot of these issues are things that we actually like to work collectively with these organisations on. And again, on the basis that if you work uh, collectively with a lot of other people, you might actually get 
some traction on them. Same applies to the fixture scheduling. Uh, Tim will uh, continue to, hopefully continue to uh, harangue Richard Scudamore for his last six months of office. Uh, four months, in fact, isn't it now? Um, we had, the Cliff told you earlier on, actually, this, this is, I mean, what Cliff told you about the uh, safety advisory group uh, has changed since we had this motion. Um, technically, we're not on it yet, so actually the motion still holds true. But I'm encouraged by the fact that it looks like we, we hopefully will now be able to sit on it rather than just be able to contribute to the agenda. Uh, the ticket touting, which you mentioned earlier, again, uh, we recognise we need to, I think, work with the club a lot more closely to try and help stamp it out. It's, it's amazing how much it really rattles a lot of supporters that I know, a lot of our members. Perhaps we need to do a lot more to work on that. Um, you know, being on, the, being on the safety advisory group will clearly be a help with that because they don't have a supporter voice on there. Uh, and by that, uh, uh, you know, kind of closely associated with that, of course, the stakeholder in- engagement motion, um, which is really to uh, give us permission to work with as wider and diverse a group of people as we possibly can so that we can, you know, get our message out to them and hopefully influence them. And that, that would be Chelsea itself, the local council, parliament, the police, uh, the Premier League, the Football Association, the broadcasters, whoever it happens to be, uh, where we need to push the message for supporters' interests, we will do that. Uh, the football and community one, again, is another long-held um, motion that we've had, uh, which is to really try and get out into the community and promote football Chelsea and ask the supporters to uh, to that local community. And I think a lot of that, like the motion 14 as well on, on club heritage, is very much within Cliff's purview, which he does a great job on, as we heard earlier on. Um, but it's all, I mean, you know, apart from the actual tangible, concrete, positive work that that entails, it's good, it's good PR too. I mean, it, it makes us look good to the community, which is no bad thing. Um, motion 15 is an interesting one. This came ar- around, you know, about really, you know, we, we, we opened up a lot of the questions in the survey to overseas members. And one of the issues that perennially affects them is, of course, the difficulty that they have in getting access to tickets, even though, as a supporters' club, an official supporters' club, they are guaranteed a small allocation. Um, But I think the issue for them is that if you're in Australia, you have the same access rights as somebody from Belgium, which is clearly difficult, because the Belgians can hop over here every match, which they do, and the Aussies, you know, it's like a a once-in-a-year trip. So it's very difficult. As ticket allocation, loyalty points issues perennially are, there is no easy answer. So what we kind of discussed and what we're mandating to do is to listen to what they have to say and try and help them in any way that we can. I had a chat with the Midlands guys, and uh, it was very interesting to hear what Tony had to say um, because, of course, they have a similar problem but the other way around. Um and for them, you know, it, it, it's about access. And, and basically he was telling me there's something like the same sort of situation applies. You know, they, they have to apply for the ticket six weeks in advance. Uh, they can off, that can often screw them, you know, and then there's the whole away issue, you know, their allocation goes down. I think the main issue that came out of it from both sides, which I thought was very interesting, was trying to get a message out that uh, overseas supporters – a lot of the new ones, of course, they all want tickets to Chelsea Tottenham, Chelsea Man United, Chelsea Spurs. 
Whereas actually there could be a view, which is actually what officially I think the ticket office tell them is, well, actually you should be here to support Chelsea, not here to see Man United. And it's hard to argue with that. And I think the interesting conversation I had with Tony in the Midlands branch was that, of course, his members all get that. But uh, it's a question of the, the overseas supporters getting that message too. Now, I know a few of them, like Chelsea and Melbourne, who are affiliates of ours, run by an old expat guy called Russell who tries to get that message out. And I think a lot of the Americans do too. But So I think it's, it's a very difficult issue, but I think it's one that we need to take on board. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the supporters' liaison officer, uh, which really is to get a message to the club that we're not happy that you've got an employee who has a clear conflict of interest and that issue needs to be addressed. And I would add that this isn't just us beefing about it. We've actually got within the motion what the definition of an SLO is according to UEFA, who are the guys that have put this idea in place. So there you go. That's why that's in there. Uh, it's worth a read. Uh, now, the last one I think is very, very important, uh, and this has come about directly as a result of what happened in uh, Madrid and more to the point Barcelona cliff. Um, we felt, uh, particularly in Barcelona, I mean, if anybody who was lucky enough to be out there in some respects, uh, will remember the, remember the bridge that they had, which, yeah, there you go. Yeah, wasn't it just... Yeah. Yeah. Well, the point the point is, Steve, is that that could have been, you know, obviated if there had been better dialogue between the supporters and the club and their authorities. And that's the point of the Motion 17 supporter safety, is that they need to talk to us when we're travelling abroad. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Charles. I forgot that, Charles. I'm missing my duties. I, I left early from the ground under the circumstances because I, because um, I got fed up with uh, being held back at PSG yeah, for yeah, two, you know, an hour yeah. and a half or whatever it is to avoid the supporters. So, because they made us go all the way around the ground, by the time I got, got out for the, for the train, I was with all the Barcelona supporters, mm. and I had no problem whatsoever going out. So why do they hold us back at games? Yeah. No, no. Well, I think that's the point. I think we we. Need to you want a question, Robert? With the wealth of experience of previous trips to Barcelona, Alici left in eighty fifth minute, and it was perfectly fine outside. There was, you know, in the Chelsea colours, they had no problems whatsoever. And but then, as you walk downstairs from the stadium. You see the riot police literally getting ready, you know, just uh, up for a fight. So, I mean, it cannot be only Chelsea fans who have suffered from that. I mean, Barcelona hosts uh, a number of other clubs. Where are they? Where are their problems? I mean, is it only us or is it someone else as well? And also, what department of UEFA is dealing with it? Because I'm surprised that it, it sounds like they want to kick it in the long grass and, you know, we're no longer in the Champions League this year. You know, it may take a while before we have this kind of proper conversation with them. motion in here so that we can address this issue because you're right it gets kicked into the long grass and and it needs to be right there where it, where it counts cliff with the barcelona issue and the bridge issue we had an arsenal fan contact us 
and he was absolutely horrified that the bridge was still in place. Arsenal played there a few years ago, and I think that was one of the first games that they'd used the bridge. And he said the stewards were, were very wary of it and only allowing their supports over two or three at a time in those days. And he's an actual structural engineer, and his job in this country is to inspect things like that scaffolding and, and, and bridges. And he was ha- absolutely horrified about that, 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 that the bridge was still in place. He couldn't believe it. He'd been on to UEFA himself from the Arsenal time round, and they completely blanked him. He didn't, didn't enter into any correspondence with him, you know. It, it was nothing. He'd been on to Arsenal, and Arsenal sort of didn't want to know either. So he was more than happy to help us uh, in, in our case with it. And his, his, his email has gone forward as part of the Chelsea complaints with it as well. So, you know, it is an ongoing issue. It, it's ridiculous that it's still going on after all these years uh, uh, being, and being used. I mean, I think, you know, Dave's, Dave's often said to me that it, it, having the bridge in place there stopped the Chelsea fans being held in for any length of time. So they sort of went over the top of the Barcelona fans that were underneath. But that, so so it's, it's a wonderful initiative, but it's not safe. If it was safe and it was sturdy, then there wouldn't be an issue with it. But the fact that it's a, it, it looked like it could collapse at any minute is, is frankly ridiculous. At least it was not made in Italy. One thing that infuriates me is basically whenever the away fans come to Stamford Bridge, they can leave the stadium as the game ends. You go to uh, Madrid, Bernabeu is the same story, you know. It takes two hours to get out and I think Tottenham fans have been there like a few times recently and two hours each. Where is that kind of, like maybe we should be doing that the same to them. I know that sounds horrible because you should mm. not be doing so to someone no. that you don't. But no. because otherwise, I don't feel like this is being listened. Uh, and maybe if you have like a bas- influence Barcelona fans who have to be stuck, you know, until midnight in West London, maybe they will, you know, come to senses that this is, you know, in reverse of what we got when we visit them. Um, unfortunately, 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 Robert, that's down to different police forces, you know, and and as. as any of you know that travel around Europe, you can be dealt with so differently from being in Germany to being in France to being in Italy to being in Spain to being in England where we don't have holdbacks at all. Now, arguably, the English police force have got it right and a lot of the foreign police forces have got it wrong. But then English police forces have learnt lessons over the years whereas maybe foreign police forces haven't and they still treat particularly English fans on past reputations. I'll let Dave, can we just let a couple more on the floor? Just a quick point to add on the Barcelona situation. The problem I'd stress was mainly with the Guardia police, whatever you call them. I was actually going into the train at the same time as the Barcelona fans. From, from the Barcelona fans, there was very, very little provocation, unlike PSG, which I've experienced before. And it's good to hear that Arsenal have also had that problem with the footbridge, which, as your reports are correct, was frankly unstable and actually fucking nerve-wracking to cross from experience. So if Arsenal have experienced that as well, if we've got the pressure on UEFA from both that experiences, then brilliant. And last point is, Porto, probably the best policed European away I've been on, yes, they held us back for 30, 40 minutes afterwards, but as soon as we're out the stadium, the station underneath was completely empty. No trouble at all. So I think it is 
probably UEFA pointing the fingers at Barcelona, but in particular, the Catalan police, or whatever you call them out there, or the Guardia, they were the main problem, I'd suggest, with that footbridge. The, um, the thing about it is when, when Liverpool play Man United, the supporters are held in because of the, um, you know, that... No, but that, that they are held in. But the fact that they're not held... Supporters aren't held back in this country is a point of law. And under... Um, you, there's a people uh, wary of being sued for unlawful detention. Yeah, but it is, it's a, you know, it's, it's a fact. And people can't, you know, people don't want to be sued for anything. And trust me, uh, I'll be straight on if it happened to me, you know what I mean? So that is one of the reasons that supporters aren't held back in this country. Um, I'd make one point about uh, Italy and um, uh, Spain, where, um, and, and also PSG. As soon as police wear Kevlar armour and helmets and carry buttons and even the stewards in, uh, where was that? Barcelona. Italy or somewhere. No, they, they Barcelona had as well. Barcelona. It was Barcelona as well. As soon as you do that, you kind of have to justify having that stuff on. And I saw right behind me some youngsters just talking back and they were taken out and, and beaten up and Calvin went out at the back, and there was blood everywhere, which they cleared up before the supporters got out, and th- those guys had to be hospitalised. I looked at our police, right, for European Games out in the street. They have helmets down here. They have the, uh, all the available gear down here, and they're just watching to see what happens. So they're ready, but they don't make it obvious, and they don't, uh, you know... They don't have to justify being kitted up. But as soon as you're kitted up, I think you have to justify being kitted up. Yeah, but there's just it's different standards of policing for different countries, and there's nothing you can do about it. And to be, you know, you, you know, those countries, as was pointed out, you know, anybody who watches the news uh, and the Catalan elections, if, they could, if the police treat their own citizens like that, other citizens from other countries are going to be way down the list. And, you know, you know if a few supporters get it whacked round the head, it's going to be nothing to them. But people have got to be more aware, in my opinion, that they've got to respect the local population, respect the local customs and traditions. And, you know, perhaps if people held back a little bit... and You know, I, I agree that the violence employed by some of the... The Italian police and the Spanish police the is bang out of order. But I'll say about the Spanish and the um, Italian police is that they, you know, they've got hangover from um, fascist regi- mm. regimes. The, the Spanish didn't get rid of Franco till the 1970s. And, um, well, it's true. Huh? And um, it, people have got to... In my opinion, when we were at Barcelona, I was embarrassed that Chelsea supporters thought it was a joke to sing Barcelona, you'll always be Spain. And that is going to upset people. And the last people you do want to upset is people in Robocop uniform with three-foot <laughs> batons who've got, who are at liberty to use them. And, I, you, know, I, I, you know, I haven't argued with Cliff about it, yeah. but we've had this discussion 
And, you know, the last people you want to upset, me and Tim were in um, Madrid, where the police were holding back the Chelsea supporters, and Chelsea supporters were spitting at the police, throwing chewing gum at them, generally winding them up. And, you know, you're going to get a reaction. However, human, you know, they're human beings at the end of the day, and they've got, they've got a point at which they're going to snap. So a, a little bit of responsibility has got to come back to the support. Just sort of... Yeah, OK. I was just going to say, just a couple, on, a, on a couple of things, having been on many European away, away trips and, and some of the issues in France, the people on the mon on, who caused the problems on the tube were the same people who caused the whole of a bar to be closed two nights beforehand, who couldn't get tickets to go to the, cup, the, the League Cup finals. They obviously don't go to many games. And people actually don't really help themselves sometimes. I've been to Paris equally for rugby, and I feel as I'm in a different city. Um, and to, what I would also say to in the, intro, the club and also the police, and particularly Goggles, they are actually raising issues because they're very concerned. And Goggles said to me a couple of years ago, the last time we were in Paris, the inspector of police, the, 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 the senior person said to them, where, where are your thousand headhunters? Because they have a perception. And, he, and his, reply to me, his reply to me was, we don't have a, ha a thousand hooligans. And they go, oh, that's what we thought they were all turning up. So that's their actual raison d'etre, if you excuse the, the, the thing. So unfortunately, there are some countries that know how to engage and other people that don't. Yeah. And the three we've talked about, and add in Russia as a... Club yeah, can we hear from Catherine now, Chucky? It was just a couple of points about, about travelling away. Um, when I was in the um, Barcelona, I mean, you know, we're high up and you, it's so difficult because you're up there and you don't feel as though, you know, you're shouting your support, but you feel as though you, the, the players are so far down they never hear you. They never do, you know, we're right up horizontally. Why, why can't we be vertically in line with, with, the, with the game like we are, at, you know, the, the away fans are at Stamford Bridge? And also, um, but I have to say that, you know, the people around me who were throwing coins down below on the home fans, I mean, they kept doing it. Um, it is embarrassing. And the other thing was, but the, the I was frisked very briskly by a female, um, uh, what do you call her? <laughs> you know, the people stewards. who, the, the, the stewards, yes, on the way into the Metropolitano, um, Metropolitano Atletico. And um, I was just so about, and I was speaking in Spanish to her, I was trying to explain to, some, to her that the, the little thing that I had, and I'd actually put it back on the bus in the street, but it, was a, it had a little angel in it because it, it was from my godmother. And she, she was convinced that I was going in there to throw it at people, one little tiny thing. And I, I put it back on the, on the bus because I went with Thomas Cook. And you know, she would, I said it in Spanish to her, and she wouldn't, wouldn't she grabbing my bra and pulling me about like that. And the other supporters were shocked at what, how I was being treated. But I, female, yeah, I mean, it's, and, and Catherine, though we, we ha I mean, I, I mean, I remember at the time, you know, we, we did. I mean, this is what one of the things we do as a trust. We canvas people like yours opinion and get, get, us, get you lot to write in and let us know and we pass a lot of that information on to the club who I know made a formal uh, complaint to UEFA but what happens with it after that we have to wait and see just kind of number one uh, I'm now really glad that we put this additional motion in Chris and Chris wrote this motion because of the strength of feeling on it tells me how important it is 
secondly, um, I know that the Premier League uh, Trust Group are working very closely together, or those of, them, those of them who are in Europe are working very closely together with the FSF to try and collectively get something done about the appalling policing situations and the stewarding situations that we all face abroad. I mean, we mentioned Arsenal a minute ago at Barcelona as a good case in point. So there is work being done on this. And again, I just, I just stress, you know, if we work together on this, we perhaps have more chance of getting some traction, particularly with UEFA, who have a horrible habit of uh, ignoring any of the complaints the clubs make. But we work quite closely with, I forget the name of the organization now, Cliff, do you remember? The, yeah, kind of the equivalent of the FSF, but the European version. Yeah, we work quite close. Theresa, hang on a second. Uh, we work quite closely with them as well to, to try and get some traction on there. Do you want to give her the mic, uh, Charles? Yeah, I was just going to say, what, what's the role of Supporters Direct Europe in all of this? Um, because as, as they are the, the European version of Supporters Direct... What? What it's, it's actually FS Europe. They're oh, really? Not, have, yeah, they, yeah. have they changed the notes? Because actually, I, that was another thing I was going to ask. The, the fact that the two organisations are merging, I was wondering what the impact that was going to have on Supporters Direct Europe, if it was going to make them more powerful. And why aren't they doing more? Because we never seem to hear about them having any input into anything like this? Well, interestingly, uh, fans, uh, the fans group in Europe that I was uh, alluding to um, got involved with... Uh, Liverpool had a horrible experience last season in Seville. Um, their fans got beaten by the police and the stewards were particularly bad towards them. And then Man United played Seville uh, about a month later, I think. <laughs> so they worked with the uh, fans, fans direct people in Europe and UEFA and the experience was so much better for the Man United supporters in that they had engaged with all those groups and, and, and took ideas and, and bad events that went on at the Liverpool game <coughs> and implemented them for the Man United game and everything went well for, for them. So they do have uh, uh, the fans direct uh, FS Europe do have good involvement with UEFA and they will take complaints forward to them and get results out of it and so hopefully I think they're being inv getting involved with the Barcelona stuff from Chelsea last season the person who runs the Rangers supporters groups who's also a Chelsea fan and often comes to European away games with us just I saw in his Facebook feed last week that he said it was the worst experience he's ever had in Europe was last week so um, and he's not a man to be messed with and he's been on a lot of Chelsea away trips so if it was that bad it must be bad, and I'll get him to share with, with us so we can coordinate with the FSF as well. Thank you. Right, okay. Um, that really is the meeting. There is, of course, as always, any other business. Um, I know Chris has some. Charles, if you want to... Yeah, we've got a, the next Fans Forum meeting is on the 12th of uh, September we have until the 5th of September to propose any agenda items for that meeting so if anybody has anything in particular probably not ticketing issues because that gets held over yeah. to the second meeting uh, please uh, communicate those to me and I'll see what we can get on the agenda we'll just send them to the inquiries on the membership address we'll make sure Chris gets them okay anybody else with any other business Steve I spent my working life in IT, and for my for my sins, right? And the, the, talking about the new website here, yeah, right. No, sorry, sorry, right, right. Um, and, and what they've actually done because um, 
for every game I went to, I kept the URLs of the information on the Chelsea site, which was like the history of what I'd done. And this new site has wiped the history completely by changing the URLs. And I've, mm. I've written them to them and explained how simply they can fix this. It's a very simple fix indeed. And they've ignored it. That, and they've, you know, if you click the survey thing and they say, well, where would you primarily go for Chelsea information? And, and to be honest, there are other websites out with, with all of the old player stats and everything else that you might want. But the stuff, you know, with the pictures and the match reports and all of that stuff has disappeared into the ether. They've wiped the whole lot out. Now, we're talking about going and, and you know, going to the graves of people in the past, right? But everything between there and this year, the whole history of them on that website is gone. And they don't seem to give a damn. I think we ought to raise it with someone. We ought to raise that with someone. What do you two reckon? You want to answer to that one? No, I don't. I just want to make a, make a point. I sense that they're trying to paint, our, show our history into the background. I think getting rid of Neil Barnett and the ex-players coming on. I think the business yesterday where the, the, the supporters were not allowed to, when the, the team coach arrived, they weren't allowed to get autographs and what have you. I think this is part of a wider issue that they do not care well, they, they care less about the heritage, or well, they seem to care less about the heritage. And why I didn't know it wasn't on the website. That's nonsensical that they used to have historic information and it's no longer there. Absolutely nonsensical. Could, could I just answer that one point from Tim there? I, I, I don't know if you're all aware, but uh, apparently um, for years, if you, if you waited outside the player's entrance behind the E-stand, you, you know, kids and that, they get autographs, get photos of the players of both teams. But from yesterday, apparently, the stewards stopped anyone who hadn't won a competition to go along there. So I took this up with, with the club yesterday. I sent a WhatsApp message to my contact at the club like, late last night. He actually, to be fair, he responded at 10 to 6 this morning. He wasn't aware of the situation, but he is going to take it up with the marketing department. So it's probably one of these newfangled, wonderful marketing ideas to do it. So, So... Yeah, well, th- thankfully, thrilling since 1905 has disappeared. So that, that's one good thing they've taken on board. But hopefully this was just a one-off case, occasion yesterday that the kids weren't allowed to get, go and get autographs and photos. So I'll, I'll keep everyone informed on that. But I think, I think there is, you know, just going, going back... That's all right, Tim. Go, going, back to that, going back to that point, I, 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 do sense, I do sense some mission creep in terms of their marketing approach, they've clearly got a whole new load of marketing people in there with no understanding of the culture and the history of the club and no desire to perpetuate it. And I think we need to fight against that. We can't put up with that. You know, we really can't. Look, just if, if Robert, sorry. No, just one quick point. When IS Roma were designing the new website, they just went to Reddit and they asked their fans what they want from the website because it's people like us who go to the website mostly for ticket news. These days, if you go to the new version of the ticket website for, uh, for, for the ticket pages, it's just, I mean, I'm kind of young here, and I find it absolutely random, and I don't find any logic of how to navigate through it. If you, it's, it's really hard. And no one, this is the example of a case where it's us, the fans, who should have been consulted of what we wanted to look like, but we were not. We only saw this new website. Same for the app. I mean, I'm not being funny, but if someone wants to buy a ticket via app, I'm sorry, I don't think it's even possible. Whereas I already, as a, again, quite young person, I do make a lot of transactions via apps and I spend money a lot. 
I cannot do it within the Chelsea app. So whoever came up with it, first of all, did not consult the fans and did not consult the 21st century of how the e-commerce should work, right? Because this is the easiest and quickest way to commercialize uh, apps and websites like that. I've, I've just done an MBA class. Yeah, yeah. I've just done an MBA class in America, and actually, every single thing that was taught as bad practice is on the website. So, um, and I, and I was just was going to add something to Cliff while he while he's thing to mention about yesterday. I almost saw a kid being killed on the on the road out here, chasing after one of the pla- after one of the players because you could see that the um, because because obviously it's the only opportunity they have is catching them on the road. So mm. it's actually a health and safety issue. Mm. Mick, thanks, Charles. Thought, yeah, just a very quick one, really. Um, I come from a similar background to, to Steve, sort of being in IT, like, forever. Uh, I'd be interested to know what the user requirements were and who they spoke to about the, number one, the new web yeah. itself. Number two, this uh, awful fifth stand thing. Um, the, the, fifth, the fifth stand, the app. Um, and number three... Awful Nike website, because in, in the past, obviously, we used to be able to go to the Chelsea online mega store and get heritage stuff. Um, I've kind of given up now, because like a lot of people, yes, you have the, um, the current day stuff, but we kind of like the old CSE stuff as well. Forget it. You know, and, and it's, who are they talking to with regards to the user requirements, the business requirements, and the technical specifications before building this, in that, you know, we're not in a what can we do, so let's do it world. Mm. It should actually be the other yeah. way around, should be user driven. You would have thought they would be consulted. Hang on, Steve, you've, you've, had, you've had lots and lots of goes. Hang on. I know the answer to the Nike question. We got a huge new deal with Nike, so we ripped the previous one. But in exchange, we have, as a club, we have given up pretty much the online sales for any... Yeah. And this is this is simple answer to yeah, that. Yeah, they got paid a lot of money for they it. Got, though, they, no we doubt, we just got paid a lot of money as a club, and we have no more control over that. So that's a simple answer of... True. No, it's it's, just a, a, it's a surrounded under con- control, but that's just like a quick answer to that. As you got one behind you, uh, Charles. I don't think anyone knows me here. I'm Mauricio. Oh, hi, Mauricio. on a similar point where I've seen a lot of Instagram accounts. One very famous one called Breathe Chelsea, mm. and um, I think Chelsea have started like uh, prosecuting them for <laughs> copyrights and mm. everything, all of that, and all of those accounts got taken down. And I, I got very, quite worried about that because it feels like Chelsea is trying to distance them, distance themselves more and more from the, the supporters. So it's more, more of the reason why I came here today. Yeah. And also, and the second point, which is a bit less important, but I also saw a tweet from the, the old stadium annou- announcer. I forgot his name. Neil, Spy. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, sorry. <laughs> I follow him on Twitter. That's also, that's also mm. weird. But uh, I, I was shocked that he had to leave him like, that way, and he mm. posted that tweet saying Chelsea TV. Um, after some awkward silence, they left, they left me. So it feels like... Yeah. Chelsea right, we're become, becoming a bit like Arsenal with Stan Kroenke where it's too corporate know, yeah it's too yeah. corporate like it's, 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 it's wearing me a bit basically so yeah can I just answer one thing first Cliff on the I, I, Maurizio I totally agree and it, it, you know it, it's quite it's, it's quite interesting isn't it that they've now they've now uh, 
you know, done to the younger generation in terms of Breathe Chelsea's Instagram account, whatever the the rights or wrongs of it, and I understand it is a copyright in, in, infringement, but it's fans wanting to... Hang on. It's fans wanting to show their love for the club at the end of the day. Now, we we all know, I mean, Dave and the CFC UK stall have had the trade, uh, you know, the, what do they call them, Dave? Trading standards. Trading standards police down there. You're not allowed to use the word Chelsea on anything. Apparently they own the word Chelsea. I think the there's, a, there's a shade of blue where I don't, I'm not, they, I'm not uh, sure but, you're allowed to use because right. it's copyright with a certain shade of blue if you use that, it's Chelsea. But the point, the point is you're right. I, I agree with you entirely. They are, they are moving so far away from the supporters, and this is the big problem. And I think it's, you know, they're a multi-billion global corporate entity, whether we like it or not. And to trample on people like Breathe Chelsea or Dave and Marco is just pathetic. It's petty. Anyway, that's my rant. But thank you. I agree entirely. The u- but the user experience is, is the thing, whether it's on the, the club website or the night. And that's everything all the Americans say about. and Because they've got their own separate e-commerce thing. And it's even worse than the one here. I'm just going to say on that, um, I don't know a lot about uh, Brief Chelsea. I've heard a little bit about it since I've heard they've shut down. There is, as Chidge uh, intimated, then there is a wider copyright thing when it comes to, uh, there's a wider point of law involved in that. But I do agree that Chelsea have been very, very harsh on people. But it's it's not just Chelsea. The, the law has changed uh, in uh, in a, a wider regard as re- to regarding uh, use of uh, images and stuff like that. It's not just Chelsea. And I think there might be a little bit of that involved, although I don't agree with it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the point I'm making. I mean, you know, I worked in TV for a long time, so I, I get copyright infringement and, you know, rights ownership. And I've always had to be very careful about that myself. I've got a website, and it's the same kind of gig there. I think my point is, is that it's just, you know, it's like, a, it's just, they're such, such a big organization. And I'm not saying that, you know, they shouldn't uphold the law, but there might be a way of doing it. They could, you know, it's just, it's just, it's Stalinist, frankly. It's just out of, out of order. Right, we've got um, 10 minutes left, technically. So has anybody got any more questions? Any other business? Catherine, last one. It's all right. Uh, am I missing something? But where are the reminders for when you buy your next ticket? Because I'm a member, not a season ticket holder, on the on the website. That's a good question. <coughs> yeah, the sell dates. There used to be a table when they're going on sale. Not really any other business, but just a couple of reminders. So if, if any of you, I, I think it's t- Tim, yeah? Tim has mentioned to me he, he'd like to come along to the police meeting with me in September. But if there's anyone else, just drop me a line or come and see me after the meeting. And also with the heritage and community stuff that, that, that we do, if you've got any ideas, if there's anything that you want us to do, come and see me as well because I'm keen to sort of, you know, Steve's there spoke about the, the, the website 
wiping away the club heritage. But it's something that I think it's in the fans' remit as well to keep it going, keep it alive. So if you've got any ideas, please come and see me and, and, and let me know. I think that's also actually, you know, particularly with the, the, you know, the stuff that, that you were talking about and, and Steve and a lot of the web stuff and, and the fan engagement stuff, that's ripe for fans' forum territory. So, you know, I mean, I know we've all heard it, as has Chris, but if you want to get in touch with Chris and get him to front the club up on some of those issues, that's very fertile territory for the forum. Right, okay, Um, we're done. I'd just like to say, you know, massive thanks to all of you for coming out on a Sunday afternoon. It's it's, uh, way above and beyond the call of duty. We really appreciate it. I hope we've uh, enlightened you and informed you a little bit more about what we do and what we've been doing. Um, and as I said, I'm particularly pleased to see some new faces here because uh, that's really what it's all about. So give yourselves a big clap on the back. Thank you very much. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.